Good morning. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the February 15th, 2024 regular meeting of the Government Audit and Oversight Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Dean Preston, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Catherine Stephanie. Uh, our committee clerk is Monique Creighton. Uh, and our thanks to SFGovTV for staffing this meeting. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes. Public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up to speak on your right. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to the Government Audit and Oversight Committee Clerk at monique.crayton at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlit Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you have documents you would like to be included as part of the file, please submit them to me before the end of the meeting. Please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices to prevent any interruptions to today's proceedings. Finally, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of February 27, 2024, unless otherwise stated. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And at the outset, I'd like to make a motion to excuse Supervisor Chan from today's GAO meeting. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call the roll. On that motion to excuse Supervisor Chan, Vice Chair Stephanie? Aye. Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston, aye. I have two ayes with uh, Member Chan excused. Thank you. That motion passes. Uh, Madam Clerk, please call item one. Item number one is an ordinance amending the Public Works Code to waive the banner and inspection fees for nonprofit organizations in certain neighborhood commercial districts and neighborhood commercial transit districts through December 31st, 2026, and affirming the Planning Department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act. Thank you, Madam Clerk and uh, colleagues. Um, this item uh, we uh, introduce, it's in response to requests uh, from uh, some small merchant and neighborhood groups um, in neighborhood commercial corridors uh, in our district. Um, and it, it's very limited, but it um, waives certain banner fees for uh, nonprofit uh, organizations that support our merchant corridors. Um, these fees uh, can be, although in, in in total, we're, we're looking at uh, nothing with a significant budgetary impact. Uh, they, these fees, which can be hundreds of dollars for small uh, grassroots neighborhood uh, organizations, uh, can be cost prohibitive. Um, so too often what we see in our neighborhood commercial quarters is, um, is uh, that the banners and signs are, are dominated by uh, advertisements placed by larger corporations, um, but that the smaller neighborhood groups can, uh, can be priced out. So the uh, banner ordinance fee waiver that's before us would allow organizations uh, in my district that are supporting uh, neighborhood and local businesses uh, to uh, be able to move forward uh, through the existing banner program. So I want to thank the uh, Divisadero Merchants Association uh, and Small Business Forward in particular for working with our office on this, um, as well as the Fillmore 
uh, Merchants Association and North of Panhandle Neighborhood Association uh, for their support. And I'd like to thank uh, Peter uh, Miljanic of the uh, City Attorney's Office uh, for uh, his help in, in drafting the ordinance um, and DPW for their collaboration on this particular particularly uh, Ian Schneider. Um, so I'd like to, um, and, and also um, my legislative aide, Preston Kilgore, for all his work, uh, making sure we got this right. Uh, we also do have some uh, technical amendments that were circulated uh, to the committee um, by email. Um, and uh, I will move those after we hear from DPW and uh, hear any public comment on this item. So uh, for starters, I believe we have Nicholas Huff, uh, Bureau Manager for uh, Public Works Bureau of Street Use and Mapping. Uh, welcome. The floor is yours. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, committee members. My name is Nicholas Huff, the Bureau Manager for Bureau of Street Use and Mapping at Public Works. Our Bureau issues permits for use and occupancy in the public right-of-way. A banner permit grants permission to temporarily occupy any city-owned utility poles for the purpose of providing notice, as aforementioned, and for events. And uh, permit applications often include dimension plans, design review, um, the attachment, the physical attachment method to the pole, and other, uh, and demonstration of, of compliance with other city regulations. Currently, a banner permit costs $329 for, 20 per, uh, for about 20 banners and is prorated if fewer banners are put up. Between 2021 20, and 2023, we issued 185 permit, uh, permits. That's about 60 a year. Uh, in 2019 and 2023, the board passed legislation providing fee exemptions for banner applicants associated with defined cultural distri districts, specifically Soma Pilipinas and the Leather and LGBTQ districts. The legislation before you today seeks to expand this uh, exemption of a fee and to include nonprofit organizations with smaller budgets located within District 8, named neighborhood commercial and neighborhood commercial transit districts located, oh sorry, within eight named neighborhood commercial and neighborhood commercial transit districts located within District 5. Public Works analyzed the banner permit applications between 2021 and 2023 and determined that of the 185 permits issued during that time period, 33 were issued to nonprofit organizations which consisted of 21 unique nonprofits. Although we cannot determine eligibility without documentation, our team did an estimate and that of the 33 permits issued to nonprofits in the last two years, approximately seven would potentially meet the legislation's criteria and be eligible for fee waiver. If you exclude uh, the, the permits issued to Soma Filipinas and the Leather District in the analysis, the impact is about $9,000 to the budget. That's it. Great. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate your work on this and the presentation. Um, and seeing no questions or comments from colleagues, let's go ahead and open up public comment on this item. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item should line up along the side by the windows. All speakers will have two minutes to speak. Can the first speaker come forward to the podium and begin your comments? Mr. Chair, it appears we have no public comment. Thank you. Public comment on this item is closed. And um, I'd like to uh, move this item to the full board with recommendation. 
Oh, I'm sorry, I need to make the, uh, we haven't adopted the amendment, so first I'd like to uh, adopt, move to adopt the uh, amendment circulated uh, by my office. On the motion to amend, Vice Chair Stephanie? Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston, aye. I have two ayes with Member Chan excused. Thank you, and then I'd like to move uh, the item as amended with recommendation to the full board. Motion to recommend to the full board as amended. Vice Chair Stephanie? Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston, aye. I have two ayes with Member Chan excused. Thank you. Uh, the uh, motion passes, um, and uh, let's go ahead and call item two. Item number two is a resolution approving an agreement with the Nonprofit Owners Association for administration slash management of the established business-based business improvement district known as the San Francisco Tourism Improvement District, pursuant to California Streets and Highway Code Section 36651 for a period effective upon approval of this resolution through December 31st, 2038. Thank you, Madam Clerk. This item is uh, sponsored by President Peskin, who is with us here today. Uh, and uh, I understand we have uh, Jackie Hazelwood with us, a CBD Program Director for OEWD, who will be presenting on this item. So unless uh, President Peskin wants the floor, we will turn to Ms. Hazelwood. Welcome. I will only uh, say, Supervisor Preston, Supervisor Stephanie, <coughs> that I commend this agreement to you um, and want to point out that it actually, as a matter of policy, has a provision um, that has not existed in these types of management agreements that we um, commonly see that I hope will be a provision that is universally adopted um, in all of these uh, agreements going forward. And I will direct you to Section 3.14, and I want to thank uh, OEWD and the Tourism Improvement District for agreeing to this language, and that is a prohibition of use of assessment revenue for lobbying. Thank you, President Peskin, um, and uh, Ms. Hazelwood. Okay. Welcome. Um, thank you. Um, thank you, Chair Preston, and good morning, Supervisor Stephanie and Supervisor Peskin. Um, thank you for the introduction. My name is Jackie Hazelwood, and I'm the Community Benefit District Program Director. Um, so today before you is the resolution authorizing the management contract for the renewed San Francisco Tourism Improvement District. Um, before we dive into the contract itself, I'd like to just provide some high-level um, information on the district itself and what brings us to this resolution today. So as you may know, the Tourism Improvement District is a business-based improvement district that was initially established with a 15-year contract term spanning from January 1, 2009 and expiring December, 20, December 31, 2023. The district is managed by an owner's association known as the San Francisco Tourism Improvement District Management Corporation, or the SFT, SFTIDMC, which contracts with San Francisco Travel to implement services outlined in the management plan. Throughout this initial 15-year term, the district served as a sustainable revenue model, benefiting assessed businesses. It funded San Francisco Travel Association programs that drew conventions, meetings, events, and visitors to the city. And all these contributions supported San Francisco's post-pandemic economic recovery. The Board of Supervisors adopted a resolution to renew and expand this district in September 2022, with a 15-year term to commence January 1st, 2024, and expire December 31st, 2038. So now diving into the contract itself. 
So in order for the city controller to disperse assessment funds throughout the duration of the contract period, the city controller must enter into a contract with the TIDMC. So the contract itself is a template that was developed by Deputy City Attorney Manu Pradhan and it is adjusted for each CBD. So in particular with this contract, it was updated to reflect that this district is a business-based district rather than a property-based district as with many of our other CBDs. In this district, assessments are levied upon hotels and short-term re residential rental businesses rather than property owners. The contract also formally establishes the benchmarking process by which OEWD staff reviews budget categories to ensure the, t the TID is meeting its management plan, providing services outlined in these plans, and spending assessment funds accordingly. As noted there on the screen, um, if approved by the full board, this contract will allow funds to be dispersed starting in early April. And at this point, I'd like to welcome any questions, either for myself or for Cassandra Costello or Paul Frenzos from SF Travel who are here as well today. Thank you. Thank you for your work on this and thank you um, to the SF Travel folks uh, for being here uh, and available for questions. Uh, I don't see anyone on the roster, so we will go ahead and open public comment on this item. Thank you. Members, members of the public who wish to speak on this item should line up now along the side of by the windows. All speakers will have two minutes to speak. Can the first speaker come forward to the podium and be begin your comments? Mr. Chair, it appears we have no public comment. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. Um, I did just want to follow up on uh, President Peskin's um, comment on the, the language around prohibition on lobbying, which sounds like an excellent idea. I just wanted to see if, that, if, if uh, there is a plan for that to be standard language in these kind of contracts or whether there's any kind of action that we as a board need to take to uh, encourage that. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, this has been a point of conversation that we brought up with the Deputy City Attorney Manu Pradhan to see um, which route we, wanna, we might wanna take. Um, it is definitely on the mind in terms of whether this might be something to add to either as an amendment or um, just it's in discussion right now at the City Attorney's Office in terms of moving forward there. Great, thank you very much. And further to your, uh, President Peskin. Ms. Hazelwood, uh, just further to Chair Preston's question, do you know if the agreement uh, between the, the Owners Association for the Administration Management of the Excelsior Community Benefit District includes that 3.14 Thank you for the question. Yes, it does. So moving forward with all of our contracts, we will be including this. Um, the question in terms of the retroactive adding to contracts, that's, that's a little bit more complicated and that's what we're engaging with the city attorney's office on. But yes, moving forward, it will be included in all contracts for future CBDs. Thank you, thank you for that clarification. Seeing no other comments or uh, questions, I'd like to move uh, to send this item with recommendation to the full board. And on that, mo and on that motion to recommend to the full board with the positive recommendation, Vice Chair Stephanie, Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston, aye. I have two ayes with Member Chan excused. Thank you. That motion passes. Um, and Madam Clerk, please call item three. Item three is a hearing on the controller's report on the assessment of invoices reviewed under a grant agreement between the San Francisco Police Department and San Francisco SAFE, SF SAFE. 
and requesting the controller's office, San Francisco Police Department, Mayor's Office of Economic Workforce Development, and SF Safe Board of Directors to report. Thank you, um, Madam Clerk. And uh, this item is sponsored uh, by President uh, Peskin. And thank you for your leadership on this, uh, President Peskin. I will turn the floor over to you for any <coughs> remarks and to introduce uh, the various folks who are here to present today. The floor is yours. Thank you, Chair Preston, and thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Uh, so by way of background, uh, earlier, actually last year, the controller undertook an audit of a nonprofit organization, SF Safe, that has uh, had an ongoing relationship with the San Francisco Police Department uh, for many decades, uh, stretching back to 1976. Um, that audit, which is the subject of today's hearing, uh, will be presented by the controller's office by uh, the city services auditor, Mark De La Rosa. Um, but before uh, we hear from Mr. De La Rosa, let me just put this in a little bit of context. Um, after the report was released, there have been a cascading set of revelations um, as it relates to uh, SF Safe. Um, and on February 2nd, we received a letter from the district attorney's office uh, indicating that um, these revelations have led to a criminal investigation um, and further suggesting uh, that we limit our questions um, in today's hearing uh, in order to, out of an abundance of caution, not compromise the ongoing criminal investigation. So. Um, I want to heed uh, that request from the district attorney, um, and to that end, um, we'll not be asking questions about the cascading set of revelations that are the subject of a criminal investigation, and instead really limiting this to uh, questions around the audit uh, and the internal financial controls uh, at the police department, as well as now that we are aware that there are some $3 million worth of contracts at the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, just getting a baseline presentation, then I'll be making a request that we continue this uh, for a month. Uh, the, on February 2nd, the uh, district attorney expects, indicated that she expects that this case will um, be investigated within 30 to 45 days, so that will give us, it was already actually under investigation, so that will give us 45 days, so I'd like to continue this until the middle of March. Um, with that, uh, if it is the Chair's pleasure, I'll turn it over to Mr. De La Rosa. Please, welcome Mr. De La Rosa. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Chair Preston, Supervisor Stephanie, and Peskin. Uh, we do have slides uh, prepared for this agenda item. I'm Mark De La Rosa, Director of Audits for the Controller's Office. I am joined today by Selena Wong, who is the Senior Auditor who worked on this report. Um, agenda item number three before you it is an assessment that we completed last month, uh, January 18th, 2024. Uh, this memo contained results uh, from our review of invoices, uh, which we conducted in collaboration with the Office of the City Attorney. 
As part of this limited scope assessment, we reviewed invoices that were submitted by SF Safe to the San Francisco Police Department related to their grant agreement to provide crime prevention and education services. Our assessment's objectives were to determine whether grant expenditures were eligible and reasonable given grant provisions. We reviewed a sample of transactions from July 2022 to March 2023 for a nine-month period. Our memo contained one overarching finding as well as one recommendation which the SFPD agreed to implement. As per our usual process, we follow up on our recommendations uh, every six months from the time of issuance uh, to ensure implementation of corrective actions. And with that, I'll turn it over to Selena for the rest of our presentation. And, and Mr. De La Rosa, so this contract goes back to, tw this particular contract goes back to 2018? Correct. But you sampled the most recent nine months? Certainly, yep, the most recent nine months. And do you, or does the police department, they can answer that themselves, contemplate looking into the balance of the four years? Yeah, the uh, recommendation that we provided uh, to SFPD as part of this assessment was for the department to look back and to review all invoices related to the to the grant that is uh, covered in this audit, which was from the 2018 uh, to 2023 period. And the response from the department, and they can certainly uh, speak to it some more, is, is concurrence to implement that recommendation. And Mr. De La Rosa, do you, just going back to the 2018 grant, was that competitively bid, do you know? Um, I defer to uh, SFPD to answer that question. Sorry, Ms. Aroche. Good, uh, good morning, my name is Ziana Aroche. I'm the Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the San Francisco Police Department. Yes, it was, Supervisor. It was competitively bid. Uh, we've, we've actually moved forward with an RFP. It was public, uh, and then they were the ones that were awarded the grant. And, and do we, we know, were there other bid applicants? I'd have to turn to our former CFOs and our executive director of fiscal, our strategic management bureau. Mr. Leung, thank you for joining us, albeit I know you are now at the sheriff's office and no right. longer at the police department, but may recall what was going on in 2018. Sure. So there, we did have an RFP back in 2015. Uh, from my recollection, San Francisco Safe was the only uh, proposer for that solicitation. We also had another RFP in 2023, and they were also the only proposer. I believe the 2015 proposal propo uh, solicitation, there were three, there were three uh, proposal, proposals that were submitted, uh, and, but San Francisco SAFE was the, uh, the winning bidder. Thank you. Ms. Wong, sorry to chase you away. You can pull back the uh, slides, please. Good morning, supervisors. This slide provides a brief overview of the services provided by SSSAFE under its grant agreement with the police department. The grant agreement in our review had a not-to-exceed amount totaling $5.3 million, and its term was from July 2018 through March 2023. We did not review expenditures under the police department's current grant agreement with SFSAFE. And Ms. Wong, just uh, when I was looking at that when the report first came out, how much of this was under the original 2018 grant agreement and how many of these things 
were additions along the way, or were they all encompassed in the 2018 agreement? Um, we only looked at the previous grant agreement, so it was from 2018 through March 2023. It was a 5.3 million grant. Are you sure of that? Okay. Yes. Okay. So that grant agreement included specifics like um, Richmond Night Out, Castro Community on Patrol, crime prevention cameras in West Portal and Irving. That was all in the 2018 agreement? Yes. Okay. Um, but there was, oh, do you want to add to it? Do you want to? Ms. Orocha, okay. you want to? I'm sorry. I just want to clarify that uh, in terms of the cameras, that was an add back. So I just want to make sure that it's clear that it was an add back that was added to the grant agreement. The original grant agreement was specifically for neighborhood watch, uh, community town halls, and events in the community that provided some educational opportunities around safety. That was the answer I was looking for. Thank you, Ms. Orocha. Um, I'll continue with the next slide. The assessment had two observations. First, we found that the police department did not regularly request or review supporting documentation provided by SFSAFE monthly. As a result, it did not have documentation to support 3.8 million or 72% of grant funds spent by and reimbursed to SFSAFE. Further, according to the police department, it reviews a sample of expenditures during annual monitoring site visits. However, by the time of our review, it had not conducted monitoring since 2019 due to limited resources. As Mark mentioned, our scope was from July 2022 through March 2023, and we analyzed a sample of accounting records and invoices totaling $910,000 of grant funds spent for crime prevention education services. Our review found that SSA spent over $79,000 or 9% on ineligible and or excessive expenses. And again, Ms. Wong, that was only from that nine month period. Yes, that's correct, Supervisor. These expenses included $36,000 in luxury gift boxes that costed approximately $150 each and that were purchased for community events such as Black History Month and Lunar New Year, as well as for the Community Police Advisory Board Symposium. SFSAFE also spent $21,000 on parking fees. This included recurring expenses for multiple parking spots at the SFSAFE location, monthly parking at El Cerrito BART station, and a San Leandro parking garage. Parking expenses also included valet parking services or one-time parking fees at various locations in San Francisco. Also, of the $14,000 spent related to a crime prevention training symposium at Lake Tahoe, a little over 12000 was spent on excessive expenses such as limousine services and lodging. The other category of expenses were for ride-hailing services such as Lyft and Uber. These included rides between the former executive director's home in Richmond and San Francisco, rides to or from the San Francisco International Airport, and rides outside of California. Finally, we identified nearly 13000 in personal... Sorry... 1,300 in personal or office expenses that are not consistent with the grant agreement. This includes recurring water delivery or membership fees for Prime, Amazon Prime or Costco. Our assessment included one recommendation to the police department. 
to review all invoices submitted to determine whether as a safe build for expenses that are unallowable under the grant agreement and recover any amounts found to be incorrectly paid. That concludes our presentation. We're happy to answer any questions. Thank you. So Ms. Wong, can you <clears throat> explain the process that the controller's office went through relative to this nine month period? I mean, how were you able to ascertain these audit facts? Yes, Supervisor Peskin. So we first reviewed the monthly packet that the police department provided, which showed um, SFC's monthly spending and their request for reimbursement. That monthly packet includes a general overview of how much was spent in each expense category, such as salary, rent, um, travel, but there wasn't a detailed breakdown of how much was spent in each of that category. Majority of the receipts we saw in that monthly packet were payroll records, rent payments, and other miscellaneous payments for supplies. Um, so after we found that 3.8 million was of the support was missing, we requested accounting records and invoices from SFSafe. So let me understand this. You did testing and looked at the nine month most recent period, but you did a larger look wherein you ascertained that out of 5.3 million, 3.8 million didn't have proper documentation. Is that fair to say? Yes. So you did do a larger look at a high level at the yes. entire five-year period? Yes, that's correct. So how would you characterize the billing for that $3.8 million, which is the vast majority, about 80% of the money? Was it just like one piece of paper that said, can you characterize it for us? Um, so it would have a piece, so it would, it's a PDF with a piece of paper that states how much was spent for that month and how much they're requesting for reimbursement. And then the next pages would be invoices, attachments, um, and we didn't see a lot of information from there. So that's why we requested specific invoices for the sample period. Got it, so when you added up the things that were attached to those invoices, they accounted for about $1.5 million, and then there were $3.8 million of missing documentation. Yes, that's correct. And is that, what, what is a normal departmental accounting practice or what is the industry standard? Um, I would say it varies by department, but ideally departments should have what they need to confirm that the deliverables are met and that the grant funds are, um, were properly spent. Every department has their own process, so I would have to defer to the police department for their specific usual process. Mr. De La Rosa, is there a general accepted private or public entity standard? Yes, this is certainly an area that we've audited um, quite, a, quite a bit in recent years. Um, we do uh, expect, as Selena mentioned, uh, variations in terms of what the agreed upon procedures are depending on the contracts, depending on the deliverables, the extent of the, uh, the agreement, uh, but we do um, uh, expect uh, as we, uh, when we do conduct these audits to have uh, some sort of a reasonable assurance for the department to be able to um, ascertain that all services and goods that were being procured and provided uh, by the contractors are actually received. So a reasonable assurance is what we would expect. And you just touched on another thing which I think is very explicit in your audit report, 
which is relative to services rendered, what the police department was getting for the taxpayer dollars expended, you don't look at that at all? Not for this uh, assessment that we completed because it was very limited to invoice reviews. Right, so this was a paper review of invoices, receipts, or lack thereof, but you did not, I, I'm not accusing you of not having done your job, but the scope of work in this audit did not also look at performance. Correct. Yeah, typically when we do an, a full-on audit, we would look at those uh, other elements beyond just the invoice review, including performance and, and, and monitoring. And so then the next question is, are you or is the police department undertaking a performance audit? As of the last uh, police commission hearing, which happened last week, um, they did put a motion uh, for a request for the controller's office to conduct a full review of, of the SFSAFE um, program. Thank you. Um, and then relative, you mentioned, and this is probably a good segue to go to Mr. Leung and Ms. Oroche uh, and the department, but you said that you had a recommendation and that the department concurred with that recommendation, which obviously is about the repeated finding that the San Francisco Police Department did not adequately review expenses and subsequently approved ineligible or unsupported expenses incurred under a grant agreement with SFSAFE. Can you just describe, um, well, maybe you can start, Mr. De La Rosa or Ms. Wong, with how the process works, i.e., you give a draft of the audit to the department, the department then responds, which is the responses here, and then they concur or partially concur or don't concur with your recommendation. Correct. As part of the publicly issued report that we uh, put out last month, uh, the, uh, the letter from the police department is attached to the, uh, to the report itself, which indicated their concurrence to implement their recommendation. Uh, as part of our process, as mentioned, we do follow up on all recommendations uh, within six months after issuance. So around June, July would be when we would follow up with the department in terms of what they have done uh, to mitigate the, uh, the finding. And the police department's letters dated January 5th. When did you submit the draft to the police department? So the uh, initial draft, um, so we completed the report itself back in October. Um, the end of October, I believe, was when we had a draft of, of the report. We sent uh, the draft to the department, SFPD, uh, in late October. Um, and we received their uh, official response to our report in early January. We did meet with the uh, department um, during those intervening times uh, to uh, gather uh, any information or response from the department. Um, and w is there a normal time frame in which departments respond to financial audits? Yeah, typically we provide uh, two to three weeks um, uh, of time to respond. Uh, I believe that uh, th there were a couple of, of times that, that the department uh, requested for extensions uh, due to workload issues. And I think APEC and, and other, um, other activities were happening around the same time. So this was arguably three to four times longer than you normally expect or experience? 
it certainly looks uh, that way for this one. Thank you, Mr. De La Rosa. And then uh, there is a statement in the chief's response to the audit that SFSafe has been referred to the San Francisco citywide nonprofit monitoring and capacity building program. Um, do you know, did that happen prior to the audit or did that happen as a result of the audit? When, were, when was such referral made? And maybe just for the edification of folks watching and my colleagues, what does that all mean? Kind of means they're being put on watch, right? Yes. Danger will. Within the controller's office, there is another division outside of the audits division. There's the city performance division that conducts these monitoring of nonprofits. Um, I am not 100% um, sure when exactly that uh, referral from SFPD happened uh, to the nonprofit monitoring, but I definitely defer to the department uh, to answer that question. The, you're saying the police department would know that? On the timing of when that referral happened. Got it. And then um, relative to other things, do you look at, and I'm both as to this instant case as well as just as a practice, do you look at a nonprofit status with the Attorney General Division of Charitable Trusts? Yes, that's uh, one thing that we have started looking into every time we, we initiate an audit of a nonprofit or similar organizations uh, to ensure that they do comply with the uh, California AG uh, Charities requirement. And is SFSafe compliant? I believe, um, so this is something that we did not look into in, as part of our uh, assessments, but from my understanding, they were not in compliance as of um, the issuance of our report, which was last month. So not in good standing with the Attorney General of the State of California. What about, is there, un pursuant to the agreement, as is relatively standard in these agreements, the requirement for the production and provision of an annual audit? I believe that is something that is required of, of uh, nonprofits in this city. And I know that as part of the, uh, uh, the nonprofit monitoring program that City Performance has, that is something that, uh, that, that is being required um, uh, moving forward. And do you know when the last time SFSafe turned in such an audit for what fiscal year? We did not look into that as part of this limited scope assessment. So we uh, defer to others who would have that answer. Thank you, Mr. De La Rosa. Any Pre questions, colleagues? Yes, Pre President Peskin, thank you. I, I just wanted to drill down on the, um, the 3.8 million that you were asking about before, and, um, and, and maybe it's in the report and, and I missed it, but is, is there a breakdown, and I understand it's a little hard to do because there's no supporting documentation or inadequate supporting documentation, but is there, um, is there a breakdown of the categories that the 3.8 million um, was supposedly for, those reimbursements were for, as distinct from, I, I see the numbers as to the entire 5.3, but is, is the 3.8 broken out? Um, or, no, or was there not. not enough information to, to do that? Um, Chair Preston is not broken down. Thank you, and then are, are is there, any assessment, I know there's, I, there's some reports around lobbying expenditures, like is that a separate category that's broken out, um, either of the full $5.3 million of expenditures or 
uh, or a subset of that, like expenses um, by the organization on lobbyists? Um, for a lot, you're talking about lodging, right? No, no, lobbying, like oh, paying uh, public no. affairs consultants, others to, to lobby on behalf of the organization. Oh, no. Right, I don't think uh, the information that we received as part of this assessment um, detailed, or at least dug, dug deeper into that, uh, the detail of whether um, lobbying costs were included. So we, we don't have that information. Okay. Thank you. And then there have been various reports, and I don't, I don't think this is the forum to get into details on it, of potentially of, of, of gifts uh, by the organization to uh, city employees and others. I just want to check with you in terms of the scope of, of what you looked at, that there's not a category or line item um, that captures gifts to folks outside of, on behalf of SF Safe to those outside the organization? Or, or, or is, was that an actual documented category? I believe that was part of the uh, the category that we outlined um, that we uh, included as part of our finding is that there were some expenditures there that were for um, some events um, that had gift boxes that were then uh, um, that that had uh, events that had uh, members of the SFPD present, um, but we did not look uh, further into uh, whether yeah certain filings were done or certain uh, reporting was happening. Got it. But from your review, the the, the categorization as as gifts was limited to uh, uh, things distributed at those events. That's right, as invoiced by SF Safe. Thank you. Thank you. We'll let you know if we have any more questions, but I think obviously there's a lot more auditing to be done, and it sounds, it, just out of curiosity, when the police commission, which I did not know until now, asks the controller's office for a performance audit, does that mean you do it? So right now we're actually in the process of developing our work plan for next fiscal year, so we do have a number of, of as you know, uh, um, our requests uh, related to public integrity and, and nonprofits and other risk areas, so we will definitely take that into consideration as part of our work planning. And the, the police department will answer my question about the referral timeline as to when uh, SF Safe was referred to the citywide nonprofit monitoring and capacity building program put on watch. Uh, as a rule, when does a what indicators and what process is undertaken to refer a nonprofit that may be for whatever reason in a little bit of choppy water to that program. Can you describe that to us? Actually, I'm not uh, that uh, entirely familiar with, with the processes and the criteria used since that's done by a different division in the controller's office. I, I don't want to misspeak uh, in terms of the criteria that they use. Well, if they're upstairs and they want to come down before this is over, that'd be great. <laughs> if, uh, if I could jump in before you move to to the next uh, department. I, I, one thing in reading the report, and thank you for all the work on this, um, I'm struck by, you know, as a thorough analysis of SFPD, I know we'll hear, and we have uh, folks from OEWD here as well, but I, I was curious why the, the controller's work on this was limited to SFPD. Um, 
and whether there's anything underway to expand that inquiry beyond uh, beyond the SFPD contracts to include OEWD and potentially, I don't know if there's any other department that contracted with SFC. Sure. Uh, Supervisor, uh, as previously mentioned, we started this, uh, this assessment back in September of 2023 uh, as part of our collaboration with the city attorney's office. When it got to our division in September 2023, um, the uh, the main uh, focus that we had uh, was really just to look at SFPD. Uh, so we uh, followed the city attorney's um, uh, um, uh, kind of line of, of inquiry into this, hence it was limited to just SFPD's um, contract with SFSAFE. Uh, in terms of additional ones, we don't have any additional um, audits or assessments, at least not on the uh, audits uh, division, uh, except for the, the, the request that came in last week. And, and was there, once you started discovering the problems of lack of documentation and the other things in the report, was OEWD notified at that time or, or, or were they first notified when the report was issued? I believe it was when the report came out. Typically when we do an audit, we, we only involve those stakeholders that, um, that are involved. Uh, in the particular uh, invoicing. So we were just focused on the SFPD grant at the time. And if you will indulge me, Mr. Chairman, one, one thing that I maybe didn't drill down into, um, this is either to Mr. De La Rosa or Ms. Wong, how, I mean, insofar as $3.8 million of receipts were missing, how were you able to actually ascertain what you came up with for the nine-month period. I mean, insofar as presumably, if 80, I'm, I'm extrapolating here, but if 80% of the receipts were missing over a five-year period, arguably something similar was missing over the nine-month period, which is the only thing that you did a fiscal audit, a financial audit of, how did you actually figure out gift boxes and limousines and expensive hotels? I mean, that wasn't on, I assume they didn't submit that. Yeah, um, so it wasn't in the SFPD monthly packet, but it was when we requested SFSAFE's accounting records, they provided us something called what they call the general ledger. So that has a line, line item that includes the vendor name, the description of what they purchased. So that's how we figure out um, what was purchased. Got it. And relative to the veracity of the general ledger that they provided you, I assume this was a paper exercise. Like your testing was, did they provide, was it on their general ledger? You don't then pick up the phone and ask a vendor that they really provide that or not. Am I sorry if these are naive questions to a non-CPA? Not as part of this engagement. We typically would have done that if we had done a full-on, a fuller audit uh, to validate uh, the expenses. But for this one, it was just limited to the paper uh, review of, of documentation. And finally, would you characterize the police department's involvement in this as cooperative? Yes. Thank you. Uh, should we hear from the SFPD? Good morning again. Thank you for hosting us. Uh, again, my name is Diana. Arroche, I'm the Director of Policy and Public Affairs, and I'm accompanied today by the Executive Director of the Strategic Management Bureau and our former CFO, Patrick Leung. 
Um, the only sort of opening remarks that I, I will make is that the San Francisco Police Department obviously believes that any misuse of public funds is a priority for the city to end up investigating and to look further. Um, not only is it a possible crime, but it's something that we take very seriously. Uh, I will share that based on the controller's office audit, we did move really quickly and Chief Scott directed our former CFO to move forward with an investigation to get into more of the intricate details that you just requested, President Peskin, um, such as documentation, further documentation on ledgers, understanding the more intricate details on expenses, and then following up not only with the executive director, but also the board of directors, since they are responsible for SF Safe and carrying out the nonprofit duties, like any nonprofit. One of the other things I would mention, uh, just to answer some of the questions and just to provide the position of the department, um, Chief Scott did request a joint monitoring audit to the SF Controller's Office back in June of 2023. The request was made based on the fact that we had limited staffing to be able to conduct a full audit, um, and there were, I would say, uh, confidential sources that had been concerned about not receiving subcontracted payments. And so given that concern, the department ended up moving forward closely internally with, the with, with staff, with existing staff, to start investigating what could be done. And given the lack of capacity, uh, the only thing that was done was back and forth communication. Um, there was communication. It wasn't as though there was no communication with SF Safe, but as I indicated earlier, really the communication was coming from our CFO given the limited staffing. Having said that, some of the contracting monitoring that the department ends up looking into is based on the controller's office indications on how to best contract with nonprofits. We look at their best practices. It's a public document that's given to all city departments. Uh, we typically look at those instructions when it comes to any grants in our office, whether they are looking at state funding, whether we're receiving state funding or we're looking at local dollars, we typically, uh, just like any other city department, look at those instructions on how to best carry out grant management. Having said that, just moving on into sort of where we are today, the report itself did indicate some discrepancies that we were very concerned, and we did move forward as it's indicated in the actual letter that you shared, President Peskin. Um, the chief worked closely with our CFO, and we have actually requested many different responses to the SF Safe Board in order to make sure that we understand where these expenses are. As you shared earlier, there is an investigation. We cannot get into the details on the criminal side, but we are happy and we will be transparent in terms of what we've done and what our relationship has been with SF Safe from a grant contractual agreement. Thank you, Ms. Oroche. And let me, um, I mean, look, this is obviously an embarrassment not only to the department, but to the city, and so we're all similarly situated. And I think, you know, as unfortunate as this is, and criminal malfeasance notwithstanding, I think our job is to figure out what went wrong, what we can do going forward to make sure it doesn't happen again, or that we minimize our risk and what are the lessons learned. So, um, as well as more specifically relative to this relationship that long predates 2018 and goes back decades what the workout is going forward like what are the plans uh are is this a service that is a want to have or a need to have and you know i think those those are important conversations um that 
should be publicly, you know, public conversations. Um, let, let me just uh, start with, I think, where the controller's audit takes us, which is um, understaffing. And I think we are all on the Board of Supervisors in the general public aware that we have understaffing of rank and file police officers. I think it is kind of new news to us that there was chronic understaffing in the fiscal shop. And I think we've come to understand what the challenges are relative to recruiting uh, new you know, Q2 police officers. Uh, but I just wanted to start with how large was the understaffing problem? Why was there an understaffing problem? Uh, I am not aware of a ubiquitous across the board departmental shortage of accounting staff. Can, I just wanted to start with that. Thank you. I'll refer to our former CFO. He can respond to that. Thank you. Um, so within the four-year, four-and-a-half-year duration that I was the chief financial officer for the police department, we, we only had full staffing for about three-and-a-half months during that whole entire period. Um, we do face challenges that other departments do not. As a law enforcement agency, for anybody that we hire, we have to uh, put through a background check. That is a requirement from post, the peace, office, peace officer standards and training, uh, the commission on posts. And there was a report uh, from DHR about how long it takes uh, for the city to hire a civil service classification, and it was more than 250 days. So when you take that length of time and you add the two and a half, two and a half to three months to conduct the background, it takes almost a year to bring somebody new in going through the civil service process. Um, within my unit, we definitely had our challenges on um, some key departures. We had our contract manager retire. We had another vacancy from our budget manager position. Um, we've also had an accountant supervisor that recently separated, but that position was also vacant for about two years. We've, in total, it, it kind of varies depending upon how many people, what, which year and, and based upon what period of time we're looking at on how many vacancies we had at that point. Um, what I will say about that, that is one of the impacts to our department on our ability to hire is really based upon our budget. So in fiscal year 22 and in fiscal year 23, we had hiring holds because we were right at the six month mark because we were going to be over budget. Um, when a city department, whenever they're going to be over bu budget, uh, the controller's office has the fiduciary duty to reduce, minimize the losses and the department has to try to keep within uh, its budget. And so for a period of time, we weren't able to hire. Um, I do want to go through some of the questions today. Uh, first off is on the, the delay for our response. Uh, we did have a meeting with the controller's office about their 
audit findings with uh, San Francisco SAFE, and it was approximately late October. Um, for the delays, it wasn't intentional. It was more, we had APAC coming up in mid-November. We had 12, over 1,200 um, mutual aid officers coming from CHP, approximately another 100 from all the other jurisdictions. There was a lot of work involved that we needed to perform in order to have, make that event successful. After the event, obviously that ran from November 11th to November 17th. After the event, there's still additional work in order to make payments um, for all the people that came to assist us and all the vendors that provided those services and that did have a big impact uh, on our workload. We don't have any additional staff. We did request support from the controller's office to perform that work and that did cause delays on when we were able to respond. Uh, for our contract with San Francisco SAFE, it covers multiple services. The, uh, we contract with San Francisco SAFE to um, help us facilitate the captains, the captain police advisory board meetings. We also contract, them, contract with San Francisco SAFE to coordinate the neighborhood business watch groups they help us conduct uh, residential and commercial security surveys and presentations. Uh, they conduct presentations involving personal safety, vehicle traffic safety, auto burglaries, child safety, elderly sa elder safety, uh, and robbery and burglary prevention. There's also presentations that they do for preventing violence in the, work, uh, in the workplace. They also help facilitate the San Francisco's uh, bike safety registration program. And for these services, we do receive invoices from San Francisco SAFE. Uh, accompanying with the invoice, it comes with a deliverable report that describes the services rendered for that period. And I know from the controller's office report that they describe that 3.7, 3.7, 3.8 million, I can't remember the exact amount, but over $3 million that was, re that was paid to San Francisco SAFE without adequate documentation. Uh, that is not an opinion that I share. We reimbursed San Francisco SAFE based upon the services that they reported as rendered being that, during that period. Um, we reimbursed them based upon their reported expenditures None of the invoices by SFSAFE included any items of limo rides or luxury gift boxes. All of the invoices that they, that they submitted uh, were based on eligible expense categories that were defined within the grant plan within the contract agreement. And upon our meeting with the controller's office, uh, and the findings that they shared with us, we did conduct our own monitoring visit um, mid-November. And from that, we did look into their internal controls. We did identify some areas of weakness. Uh, they did have some issues with the commingling of funds. We did find expenditures that were ineligible consistent with what the controller's office had on their findings. In our report, 
uh, we did identify approximately $95,000 of ineligible expenditures that we did uh, put within our uh, audit or monitoring letter with San Francisco SAFE. We did describe uh, three recommendations. Um, the first one was for them to provide us with the general ledger transactions uh, to accompany each monthly invoice. That was a recommendation that the controller's office had recommended to us from their monitoring. And as a part of this report or? Yes, as, as, a par as part of their audit report. Uh, the other recommendation that we had with San Francisco say from our visit uh, was that we wanted them to revise their progress report so that it would contain associated links uh, and reference um, that references back to their Salesforce platform that they were using um, for their services. So if somebody wants to, if, if a member of the public or if a business wanted to request a security survey, there's a link on San Francisco Safe's website. They submit the request and it goes to the Salesforce platform. From that, it gets assigned to one of their workers and then they perform the work. So we did request for them to revise their delivery report so that we can link it back to their sales force and that it will be easier to ascertain whether the work was performed. The last uh, recommendation that we had uh, for them was to refer them to the controller's office um, capacity building monitoring program. Uh, we asked for them to self-refer. We also referred to them to that program. It provides technical assistance and best practices and tries to help uh, nonprofits to implement best practices. And Mr. Leung, that was after the audit findings? That was after the audit findings. It was also based upon uh, the work that we did when we went out to do our, uh, to do our visit. But can I, may I clarify just one point, though, Supervisor? Um, and I want to make sure we answer your initial question, which is what the staffing looks like for contract management in the department. Um, one point to clarify is that we had initial conversations with the controller's office, as I said earlier in the opening statements, in June of 2023, based on our capacity and our staffing. We requested to have a full audit to be conducted, given some of the severity and the concerns that we had with some of the finances and possibly lack of contract or lack of subcontracting payments that existed. Having said that, the controller's office is also limited in staffing. I think you heard the director de la Rosa say that, you know, obviously they go through an assessment. When you come to uh, the controller's office mid-year, it's really, it's, they are also tasked with multiple existing projects. And so they need to consider where exactly, what can they do and what, what type of assessment they can actually conduct. So the response that we received in September was that it would be a non-audit assessment that we would be receiving for a period of time. The desire of the department was to do a full audit in order to make sure that we would supplement and have an independent eye, including the staffing available, to make sure that we understood what SF-SAFE invoices, how they carried out. So I just want to make sure that that distinction is made just because it's really critical to understand sort of the full landscape. We're hearing from one division of the controller's office, but the, the magnitude of who was involved had to do with both full departments being involved when it comes to SF-SAFE, given the magnitude and the 
severe concerns around the issue. I, I do, do want to add one last thing is that we did make multiple attempts uh, to schedule a monitoring visit. We did, we sent an email January 5th, 2021 to schedule monitoring with San Francisco SAFE. Um, there was a second. I'm sorry, January 2021? January 5th, uh, 2021. Uh, we had another set of emails where we tried to partner with OEWD to perform a joint monitoring uh, on December 10th, 2021. Uh, there was a monitoring visit that we had scheduled on May 5th on 2022, uh, but that had to be delayed because, or canceled because of a flight cancellation. Uh, we did make multiple attempts, but for a variety of reasons, they had to be postponed and delayed, and we were uh, unable to perform our, our monitoring visit until uh, mid-November of last year. So let me get this straight. Ms. Roche is saying we had back and forth about unpaid subcontractors, and this was a source of concern. Mr. Leung is saying that we had concerns that went back to 2021 and... No, no, so correction. No. That's, we just wanted to share the actual monitoring. Doc, direct, the former CFO um, is sharing and clarifying all the auditing that actually did happen, or contract monitoring, rather, but, but that happened. But what I hear Mr. Leung saying is that there were attempts at contract monitoring that were unsuccessful. Is Correct. what I heard him say. Correct. So Correct. the city's monitoring process, um, it, ideally departments perform the monitoring once per year. Uh, we did make multiple attempts during that period. COVID was definitely a special circumstance. It was delayed because of the uh, remote work, the suspension, or there was a time frame when work was suspended. Uh, and then there was a period when people were doing remote work and uh, January 5th, 2021 was uh, the first email that I could find that we had reached out to San Francisco SAFE to try to schedule the monitoring visit from the prior one that we did in 2019. So this is our regular monitoring, President Peskin, that actually occurs with SF SAFE because I believe one of the questions that the board had or the members of the committee outside of this hearing is how often do you, do you actually monitor SFSAFE? So in response to that, the dates that you just heard were, was the actual monitoring that occurred prior to this audit, prior to the actual complaints that came in. This was how the regular contract management of the department was implemented. So that's, those are those dates. Okay, but Ms. Roche, help me out here because what I hear you saying is we tried to do contract monitoring, but they stiff-armed us. So there was a bit of that. I, we will say that there was um, delays on the part of the nonprofit. So SFSAFE did indicate that either they needed more time, they couldn't move forward with us. The biggest reason why there was a delay is because just like any other city department, during the COVID time period of the grant, we were asked to actually cease from being in person to do any sort of contract management and audits. So emails were exchanged back and forth, but it's not to the full extent of how the controller's office ends up indicating how contract monitoring should occur given the COVID circumstances. Got it. So doesn't that lead to a institutional 
sense of heightened scrutiny? I mean, let me drill down into this, which is, <laughs> Mr. Leung, and I'm not being accusatory, but insofar as the finding in the controller's audit that the department concurs with is that the backup documentation was scant. 5.3 million total, 3.8 million undocumented was the high level finding. After they're stiff arming you, COVID, you know, being what it was, did that not lead to like you? Well, let me ask you this. Did you, how does your payment process work? They send you an invoice and then what happens? Sure. So there's, um, there's a couple of components within the invoicing process. There is a deliverable report that describes the services rendered during the period. There's also uh, the invoicing template for which they report what eligible expenditures that they submit based upon the categories defined within the grant plan. Um, they submit what expenditures they incurred during that period. We have um, a member of a unit within my team, either the grants unit or accounting, depending upon who's uh, available. Typically, it would have been within our grant unit. They would do the cursory checks of whether the items were within the budget. There are some documents that they also provide to us, including payroll registers of um, the salary and benefits for the staff. Uh, it depends upon the invoice, but there's other um, uh, invoices for vouchers that they would have paid during that period. So we check based upon those whether it matches what they have reported in the summary sheets. And if all things check out, then they would sign off on it, send it, I would receive it. And if, uh, if the numbers match up, then I would uh, approve the document. So it doesn't I, go above you, it doesn't go to a sworn officer, it doesn't go to Ms. McGuire, you get to it, sign off. Sorry, um, the sign off uh, on the sworn side, the sign off comes through on um, the uh, deliverable report. They, I'm sorry? The deliverable report. So, so the deliverable report um, helps explain what services were rendered during that period. They sign off on that to acknowledge that we received the services performed during that period, and the invoice uh, is a, associates what costs that San Francisco Safe incurred to perform those services. And who signs off on the delivery? It would be uh, a member of our community engagement division. Depends upon who it is. Typically, it would be either the captain or uh, the commander of that division. Got it. So it could go as high as a commander who would sign off on that delivery document. And then, but what you're also saying is, because that's the performance, that's what we're getting for our money, right? right? We did this many neighborhood safety meetings, we did this many bike registrations, whatever that is. But what you're also saying is that you weren't able to actually determine whether or not those representations were true because they had stiff-armed you on monitoring. So it was just kind of, they said, hey, this is what we did. You said, oh, the commander or the captain said, sure, and then you paid the bill. For at least a, so 
at least on the services being rendered, there is a separation. On our part, there is a separation of duties for my team. It's specifically based upon the financial aspects of it. On the deliverable sides, typically that's um, somebody within operations. Um, and it depends upon the contract. If it was uh, something, if it was a contract for, let's say, our, um, our RMS project, the record management system, we would submit that invoice to our IT group so that they can sign off on it to, to acknowledge that work was performed, yes, is in compliance with uh, whatever's defined within the contract. When we get it, make sure that it's been signed off, and then we do our financial checks. And just going back to your original contention, Mr. Leung, and I'm not trying to be combative, but you indicated that your grant staff would check how, it, how the invoice related to the activities set forth in the scope of work in the grant, and you would get documentation as to hours but there's still this fundamental finding from the controller that out of $5.3 million, there were no receipts for $3.8 million. So to me, the $3.8 million was based on the fact it was the total of all of the invoices that we, that we received during the period for which a monitoring was not conducted, for, for, for which we did not, we were unable to conduct our uh, annual monitoring visit. But I don't agree that um, we paid $3.8 million just as a blank check. They submitted invoice to us with what they reported as their expenditures. We, bit, we paid them based upon the services that they rendered during that period. And with that, with from the controller's office monitoring visit, we did look into ways on which we can improve. Um, I'm not saying that we can't improve our process. And we did implement one of their recommendations, which was to request the general ledgers um, as part of the invoicing process. We also looked back retrospective to the prior, from 2000, uh, the past five, four years. So I think 2018 all the way to 2022. We did do that review based upon documents that San Francisco SAFE had provided to us because after the controller's office monitoring or their audit and after our meeting with them, we did have concerns about what was reported prior. So we did look into all the transactions and invoices that they had submitted. Uh, we did highlight some areas of uh, question costs that we requested San Francisco say for additional documentation. Um, but at this time that requests, some of the documentation uh, request is still outstanding. So but you, I will say, oh, sorry, I, I was just going to ask, so ahead. you did get their general ledger from 2018 to 2022? Correct. And, and just procedurally as to their, these were monthly invoices that were occurring that you would reimburse for Pay. Were they monthly, quarterly? We, we receive invoices monthly. Were there any instances where 
police fiscal said, hey, we're not going to pay this until you produce more documentation, or were they 100% paid without question? No. There, was, um, there were times when we would have to request for um, additional clarification or additional documentation. Um, what I will say is that at least for the period of time, um, they did have audited statements all the way to 2022. I think 2023 we had a draft version. I don't believe that that was finalized um, from when we, at the time that we conducted the last monitoring. So your uh, representation is that they had annual financial audits submitted annually for the period 2018 through 2022 and 2023 not. Are you sure about that? Because, I, I mean, I don't think anybody submitted their financial audits for 2023 because it's February. I know we have, uh, from what I remember from looking just this morning, I know they had uh, audit statements for 2022, 2021, and I believe 2020. I got to double check on 2019, um, but I know we had three files uh, when I looked on the drive. You have questions? I, 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 I have do. More, but. Just, just briefly for uh, SFPD. Um, so um, switching gears a little, I, I wanted to, you know, you described the services SF Safe was providing, Neighborhood Watch, the safety consultations uh, with businesses and residents, um, the advisory board uh, meetings and so forth. So my understanding is SSAFE has effectively suspended operations at this point. So correct. Is, is that work, what is the plan for delivering that work right now for residents and businesses and others who, uh, who had previously had those services from SSAFE? So I'll answer that question, um, Supervisor. So when it comes to some of the town halls, and some of the actual educational opportunities, our community engagement division is taking that on and developing a plan on how to actually absorb all those responsibilities. In light of what's gone on with the reform process, it is ideal for the department to actually move forward and start looking at building its own direct relationships. Having said that, we will have to continue leveraging with either other city departments, community agencies to continue building trust in the community. So the CED component, when it comes to the actual work that SFSAFE was doing, whether it comes to conducting some sort of CPAB session, discussing areas that might relate to any major incident in the community, that's all being absorbed by the department. Got it. And how, how about the, I understand things are in flux and there's, you know, a need to develop a longer term plan, but more immediately, it's, you know, there's a business in one of our districts, right, that is being, you know, has been robbed multiple times, right? Before all this, we could offer that SF Safe would come do a safety consultation with that business, make recommendations on how to improve security and so forth. Same with people in their homes. So as of like, if, if our office gets a call today or tomorrow asking for those services, is, is SFPD directly providing those kind of uh, services to businesses and residents, or are you actively looking for a, uh, a new nonprofit partner? Or w what's the status right now? 
The status is for the community engagement division within 30 to 60 days to be able to move forward with responding. Now I will caveat that it is just the educational piece and how to actually file a report. It has nothing to do with any technical equipment because that's not what our grant was for. Um, so we would separate, we would just focus on looking at providing any educational uh, conversation to any resident or business. Thank you. And then the other just practical immediate question um, is for the employees of SF Safe and for the various vendors, we're hearing reports that ambassadors and others uh, who are contracted, so it's both employees of SF Safe and folks they contracted with who are who have not received payment, what is the city doing, what is so the department is a, doing, if anything, to, to yeah. address that? And so we are, paid. morally we're very concerned about the individuals that are also victims, given the situation. Uh, I will say though, if we stick to the actual grant that we've been contracted through SFPD, the grant did cover payments that were supposed to be given to the employees. We're waiting for the board of directors to confirm whether or not those payments were actually confirmed and given to the employees. Now, having said that, we are just one grant that is that was given to SFSafe. There are other grants that were given that did provide compensation and employee wages that I think that, that this is a larger discussion and it's out of SFPD's purview. Thank you. President Peskin, are we ready for OEWD? Or We're do you have not. A uh, couple, three questions. One is, Ms. Roche, you referred to the back and forth about allegations of subcontractors not being paid that ostensibly, as I understood you saying it, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Correct. was part of the reason that you were supportive of a controller's audit. When were you hearing that? I mean, not you necessarily personally, but when, right. when was the department, I mean, the reason so I asked the question of Mr. De La Rosa as to whether the p police department was cooperative, which I knew the answer was yes. Yes. But, and indeed, the report says that you requested the audit, although for the record, so did I. <clears throat> but when did you become aware? So this question was asked at our police commission, and I will say that it's difficult to pinpoint the exact date. When it came to a concern to the command staff and to the elevated concern to the chief, I would say that we were, the beginning of 2023 is when we ended up actually looking deeper into the allegation or just the potential allegation of non-payment by a subcontractor we still had to actually investigate. Is that subcontractor ours? You know, what exactly are we corresponding with SF Safe when it comes to the grant agreements and what are we obligated to pay out? We had to investigate further with our fiscal department, what exactly had been done in the last six months. And so I would say it's a difficult answer, President Peskin, just given that, and I would just tell you that in ballpark, I would say early 2023 is when we ended up confirming that then we needed to move forward with then a call to the controller directly from the chief requesting additional support for an audit. And that actually didn't occur, that call and that request, until June of 2023. Um, just a couple of questions in that vein. Insofar as the base scope of work as set forth in the 2018 grant agreement is primarily 
work performed by SFSafe and its employees, neighborhood safety meetings, neighborhood watches, bike registration, uh, child safety, um, regardless of whether they actually are performing these things or not, where do subcontractors come in? I mean, I'm assuming the only subcontractor would be the cameras, and I'm assuming no. that they would be, no. So there are other subcontractors. There are other subcontractors that are actually in our chambers that were also not paid fully. And so I do I'm think- I'm aware of that under the OEWD contract. Not under SFPD, correct. So this is not, this is not AVS. Uh, this is not AVS, though I will say, it looks like I'm being tapped Ms. McGuire, by our you add? ED McGuire, who knows more of the details. Do you want to clarify? Commander. So she's just explaining to me that one clarification is Castro community on patrol. So that was an ad back. So um, I correct the record, just that there was AVS and Castro community on patrol that were both funded under SFPD. But it and wasn't funded in the original grant. It was an ad back by the Board of Supervisors. Okay, and, that, and this is not a fair question to ask you because the chief is not in these chambers. Um, and, but maybe you know the answer, or maybe uh, Ms. McGuire knows the answer, um, which is in the middle of last year, uh, in the middle of last fiscal year, we go on a July 1 to June 30, the police department came to the Board of Supervisors for a supplemental appropriation, Mr. Leung remembers that fondly, for uh, overtime expenditure, um, which uh, the Board of Supervisors voted to fund, and that is all water under the bridge. At that time, it was my contention that there were, that, that the total request of $27.2 million could be knocked down because within your $693 million budget, there were places, non-personnel, that there could be cuts within other things in the department, and indeed, later on, the department uh, came along and said, uh, we can delay a computer program, and you ended up knocking the 27, we collectively knocked the 27 down a couple of million dollars. At that time, I suggested that SFSafe was a want-to-have and not a need-to-have, and the department pushed back. But what I'm learning now is the department pushed back, already knowing that in your time frames, there were concerns, concerns that led you to request an audit that the department was aware of before you guys refused to cut that contract. I, any thoughts on that? I do have thoughts, uh, President Peskin, and I will say that obviously your conversation, direct, if it's directed to the chief, the chief would speak for himself, but, and he is not here, but I will represent the department's position just in general we worked with SFSafe to conduct certain activities that were really critical to the department, right? And some of them included supporting some of our community engagement division activities, supporting sort of the laundry list that's been isolated and has been discussed here. When we receive an allegation, like we receive any allegation when it comes to a crime, right? We have to further investigate to make sure that it's substantial, that it's actually proven, that it goes through all the different fiscal auditing sort of interventions necessary to be able to determine this agency, in fact, is questionable. Now, of course, we've reached to the point, 
post you know, the budget era, unfortunately, because I think this would have been a different conversation if we were to move this time frame back during the negotiating time of April and May. You know, this would have been a very different conversation and a very different decision. Having said that, again, the department, the responsibility, and the way that we understand our contract management responsibility is to be able to look at details, request ledgers, request sort of all the justifications that were necessary. There were addbacks, as you heard, you know, that were included that were part of the SF Safe contract. For us to go ahead and move forward with a direct cut immediately right then and there, it would have actually hurt not only sort of what we do in the community, but also just the relationships that we had in the community. Again, fast forward to today, we're stepping to the plate to make sure that we end up taking and absorbing everything that we could. Um, unfortunately, we have this circumstance where we've been dis basically deceit, right? There is deceit here where we've been given an invoice. We are a cost reimbursement model and we've had to further investigate and understand that now this is leading to a criminal case. That is today, right, in February 2024. And so I think that if we were to have this conversation again in April, as we do with your office or with any supervisors, it would be a very different conversation. Thank you, Ms. Oroche. Um, last question for you, because I, I know I'm uh, overstepping my time. Um, the current contract is still in place, right? The department has not terminated that. We will move forward with termination if there is no response by the board of directors in the next week. Got it. And so you've sent the board of directors a request for information, and if they don't respond, you terminate? Correct. And just our contract, just to be very clear, it's the San Francisco Police Department, that we've determined we will terminate the contract, though I, it is a discussion with the rest of the city partners. Understood. And then... Last but not least, uh, unless Ms. McGuire wants to add anything, Mr. Leung, you said that you looked at the general ledger from 2018 through 2022? Correct. Did the payment of over, what appears to me, looking at the general ledger, of over $100,000 to a registered lobbying firm jump out at you? From what I, re from what I remember of the general ledger, um, we did identify some question costs that we had requested additional information from San Francisco SAFE. Um, I do know that from our monitoring that they had commingling of funds. Uh, our, for our program, within their system, they classify it as 3201. They had another account for 3200 that was supposed to be unrestricted discretionary they're, they're unrestricted discretionary fund. And they were commingling expenditures from one and the other. Um, we did request, we only had the ledger for 3201 uh, for that period. We did request the full ledger for all activities so we can make, uh, try to make sense of the totality of work performed. Um, and for that, uh, we were still waiting for a response from San Francisco Safe for the information that we requested. Yeah, it's mind-blowing if these were not separate funds that you could take taxpayers' dollars, give them to a city grantee to hire 
a registered lobbyist. I mean, in the last item that we just had, we actually, relative to our relationships with community benefit districts and business improvement districts, are making sure that that can never happen. But the general ledger, regardless of what the source of funds is, appear to show well over $100,000. Uh, why a nonprofit's hiring a lobbyist is like bizarre just to begin with. But I, And I do want to make clear, all the invoices that, that we receive doesn't show lobbyists, doesn't show limo rides. We reimburse San Francisco Safe based upon the invoices that we received that covers the eligible expense categories that were defined within the contract. Um, given uh, given the information that we know now, we've certainly asked for more information from San Francisco Safe, and at this time, they've suspended operations back in mid, I think, toward the end of January, and um, at this time, we're still trying to get a response from them. And then my last question, I swear this is my last question. Mr. Leung, you are no longer the CFO. Is there a new CFO? We are in the midst of hiring, and I'll turn over to the ED just to describe that, that area. Good morning, Catherine McGuire, Executive Director of the Strategic Management Bureau of the Police Department. Uh, yes, we are hiring. We've identified a candidate, and she starts on Jan uh, February 26th. So uh, I won't ask a whole bunch of questions about the implementation of all of these things that you intend to implement. I'll leave those for our hearing in a month, but I think that's where the rubber hits the road is. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, Mr. Chairman, I know that OEWD was a part of this hearing. I also know that you have indulged me for quite a long time. So I'm happy to get a quick thing from OEWD um, who I, have had and have one, well, they've had three and a half million dollars worth of contracts, but. Thank you. Um, I think, uh, yeah, go ahead and. Uh, Thank you. Mr. Chairman, so, if I need to call a deputy sheriff and escort so this man out, let's, I will. Let's go ahead and hear briefly from OEWD to. Um, so we will, we will get to item yourself. four. Get out, get out of here. Item three is concluded. So uh, we, we will hear briefly from OEWD. I think we can. Um, I think that we can uh, save some of the back and forth for when we return in March. But I think it would be good to get uh, at least on the record. Uh, we had asked some questions before the hearing just around uh, the existing grants with SF Safe. Um, and I don't know, President Peskin, if there's some other basic facts uh, you want to elicit. But it, so if you could do just a limited presentation on just the relationship with OEWD and SF Safe, uh, and if there's some basic questions, we do want to keep it short because we do have a lot of people here uh, for item four. Chair Preston, President Peskin, Supervisors, Sarah Dennis Phillips, OEWD, I'll make this as brief as I can. We currently have one active grant for Mission Ambassador Services with SF Safe, uh, with subgrantees Bay Area Community Resources and CAIA 24. Um, <clears throat> there are challenges with that grant that have been alluded to. We're happy to provide you and have provided President Peskin with copies of that active grant. Um, we previously funded SF Safe for a commercial corridors safety grant, um, which began in January 2021 and concluded in uh, June 2023. 
Thank you. And, what, and what's the total amount of the grants from OEWD? Three million in total. The commercial, the closed commercial quarter safety grant was one million. The current and open mission ambassador services grant was for two million. One million sixty thousand, but close enough. Thank you, President Peskin. Did you want to cover any? basic ground and again uh, we just can certainly two, go in more detail in March. I think but. we can just two questions. One is they were both competitively bid. They were. And were there any other bidders? Uh, for the commercial quarters uh, safety grant there were not. For the grant the mission ambassador grant there was one other competitor uh, who placed about 25 points below uh, the SF safe collaborative with BACR and CAIA 24. And same question that I asked the police department, did you, at what point, if at all, did you start hearing concerns about non-payment of subcontractors or any other warning signs? We can go into this in more detail when we have time. It became to our awareness in late fall, and we uh, adhered to our normal process, which I will note most cases worked, and unfortunately hasn't in this case because of the deep concerns we have with the subcontractor. When we were made aware of non-payment by the subgrantees, we worked with the grantee to execute that. We were actually given some promises about payment that were not fulfilled. And, and we that, are here today. That would be the Latino Task Force? Yes. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Ms. Thank Dennis you. Be before you leave here, um, so did OEWD, has OEWD requested an audit of the SF uh, SAFE grants? So there's two, you know, in terms of performance assessment and monitoring, which is not a formal audit, um, we do that ongoing with our contracts. Um, that's one, or we work very closely with our nonprofit providers. In terms of a fiscal monitoring process, that happens in spring, so that would be April of this year. We did perform fiscal monitoring on the previous commercial quarter safety grant, the closed one, uh, in spring of 2023 before that contract closed. And anything new just in light of all of the information that's come out from the controller's audit in terms of requesting additional review? Um, that, I mean, we don't have the ability to look at their ledger until we go through that fiscal monitoring process that would happen in spring, so yes. I'm not sure what you mean by anything new. Just requests for, I mean, SFPD requested an audit when they saw some red flags, and I, and, yeah. and, but that only covered <laughs> SFPD's contracts. So I'm yes. trying to figure out if and, you And to are be requesting. clear, we have not, this is a deliverable based contract. The, the flags here were non payment of subs, which we have been working to, uh, to deal with. And as noted by SFPD, we sent a joint letter with the police department requesting information so that we can follow up and, and hopefully get those subs paid. Thank you. Uh, and then uh, Super, uh, Vice Chair Stephanie. Thank you, um, Chair President. I don't have any questions out of respect for the integrity of the criminal investigations and the people waiting here for item number four, but I just uh, wanted to say one thing. Um, I mean, this is disappointing at best. There are many failures here. And I was struck by something that Ms. Wong said in response to one of President Peskin's um, questions um, when she said every department has their own process for reviewing contracts and grant agreements. And I, this is exactly why I've been working on my nonprofit accountability legislation for over a year now. We've been working with nonprofits. I, there's people in this room that I've been working with, um, the controller's office, and reviewing uh, past attempts, like in 2003, when Supervisor Maxwell also convened a task force 
on these issues. Um, th that will be back in uh, Rules Committee on February 26th, and I look forward um, to this going to the full board. And I think, too, that this is a case study of exactly why my legislation is so necessary, um, much like the legislation that we did, that I did back in um, uh, 2021 when we created the admin code, um, Chapter 21G, um, which is grants governing the warding of grants um, by granting agencies um, that became effective January 1st, 2022, and that legislation was also created in response to an audit showing that over a three-year period, our departments granted over $5.4 billion in awards and grants, over 5,000 of them without any transparency, open solicitation, or competition. So um, I, I just you know, want to say that that legislation really takes um, into effect a lot of what we've seen here today. It directs the controller to adopt citywide performance standards that departments must comply with when contracting with nonprofit organizations um, by November 1st of this year. And the controller's office will also be required to establish standards that would, re that would create a process departments must follow when entering into and managing their contracts with nonprofits and reporting monitoring results to the controller. And also it requires annual fiscal audits of nonprofits. Um, what I found is that the lack of citywide controls is why we are in this mess and why I think this legislation is so important. There's absolutely no consistent oversight for these contracts as we've seen today, which I think leaves the public dollars vulnerable for misuse. And um, I, I, will, I will end it there and just say I look forward to that and then um, our next hearing on this. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Stephanie. Uh, President Peskin, one more before just we go Just one to last question comment. to Ms. Dennis Phillips, which is relative to the existing contract. Uh, where are you at with termination or what your next step so uh, as noted, we uh, cooperatively with SFPD sent a, a request to the SF Safe Board um, requesting information about uh, payment of subs and payment of their employees. That deadline for responses today, as of yet, we have not received anything. We have not determined that we are going to close the contract, as SFPD stated only because we are working with the city attorney to make sure that when we do so, we have exhausted all our remedies to get those subgrantees paid. Right, which doesn't mean that we are going to pay again. It means It does not. It does not. We just don't want to close the contract if that closes the door to getting payment from SFSA for those subs. Got it. Thank you, Ms. Dennis Phillips. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and committee members. Thank you, President Peskin. Uh, let's open public comment on this item. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item should line up now along the side by the windows. All speakers will have two minutes to speak. Can the first speaker? Here. Hello, forward. everyone. My name is Joanna Hernandez. I am one of the executive members of the Latino Task Force and chair of the reentry committee. We trusted SF Safe. We were under the impression that they were a secure partner, especially being under the police department. We are so brokenhearted that the people, that people lost their jobs after getting over a horrible pandemic, including those who recently just got home from jail and prison, who are trying to stay alive and free. Having a, secu having a safe and secure employment is key to someone's reentry and to community and public safety. Children's parents are now out of jobs and, out of, and now need our community's help. We requested in June to cut from this co contract Latino Task Force also had an MOU with SFSAs and they refused to honor it. It is very heartbroken what we are going through from the bounce checks 
to non-communicating with, with LTF, and we are here because we want answers and we want to get paid. Uh, other members of the LTF wanted to speak today, but in honor of um, line item um, number four, we want to just respect the space, but we hope that something happens out of this. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Her clock is still running. Thank you. Hello, Board Supervisors, Gloria Berry, previous member of the Reparations Task Force. Um, as far as this FSFPD matter, I really highly suggest other grants they get are looked at, specifically grants based on how many stops they make a year. Those are um, pretty frightening to me. Also, um, just a little comment, I think that $3 million could have went to the reparations office. Um, I do have concerns about police investigating themselves. <laughs> I hope there is someone independent involved in this investigation. Also, it ought to be criminal to have a solution, which is reparations, to so many atrocities yet we keep throwing money at nonprofits that don't yield results in the community. <laughs> Citywide oversight is needed, but then I don't have confidence of friends hiring friends that will gatekeep. Hope this sends a clear message to other people that get money and do the little backpack giveaways, the little turkey giveaways and whatnot but yet getting brand new cars and, and all these type of things, and the community never sees the money. I just left South Africa last year, and all that money that was raised through the Nelson Mandela Foundation, when I went to the, um, the poor neighborhoods, they said that money never reached them. It's always people at certain levels that get that money and don't help the community. So. Like I said, I hope this sends messages to nonprofits out there that are just pocketing funds that need to help people. Thank you. Oh, happy Black History Month. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Barry. Next speaker, please. Mr. Chair, it appears we have no additional speakers. Thank you, Madam Clerk. So public comment on this item is now closed. Um, and unless there are final comments, um, uh, President Peskin, I, um, what's your preference, a date certain, or should, maybe we should continue to call the chair and we can see the progress of yeah, that, uh, the That would be fine. I would like to hear this at some point later in March. And, and I just want to comment, sadly, that an organization that was really supposed to be building trust with community has eroded public trust. Um, for the department, for the city, uh, and I look forward to having a continued hearing in late March. Thank you, President Peskin, for your leadership on this. Uh, I'll move to continue this item to the call of the chair. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. On the motion to continue this item to the call of the chair, Vice Chair Stephanie? Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston, aye. I have two ayes with Member Chan excused. Thank you, that motion passes, um, and Madam Clerk, uh, please call item four. Item number four is a resolution apologizing on behalf of the Board of Supervisors of the city 
and County of San Francisco to African Americans and their descendants for systematic and structural discrimination, targeted acts of violence and atrocities, and committing to the recidification and redress of past policies and misdeeds. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, and for the record, um, uh, uh, Supervisor Walton has been appointed to the committee for item four, so welcome Supervisor Walton, uh, and I know Vice Chair Stephanie will be returning uh, momentarily, um, and uh, you are, uh, Supervisor Walton, the uh, sponsor of this item, so thank you for being here, and I wanted to turn it over to you for uh, any remarks and to present witnesses, uh, and also want to thank um, all the folks who uh, are here to give public comment uh, for their patience and for being here. Thank you so much, Chair Preston, and again, just want to thank uh, community and everyone in the chamber for being patient as we work through today's agenda. Uh, as you know, the African American Reparations Advisory Committee worked tirelessly to detail the harms of black people caused by this city and its policies, as well as to come up with solutions that achieve reparations and improved outcomes for black people who suffered injustices and their descendants here in San Francisco. One of the recommendations, overall recommendation Roman numeral number one, is that the city issue a formal apology for past harms and commit to making substantial ongoing systemic and programmatic investments in black communities to address historical harms. We are here today to do just that. And I wanna thank all of my co-sponsors, supervisors Chan, Ronan, Preston, Safai, President Peskin, Engardio, Melgar, Mandelman, and Supervisor Stephanie. As we continue this fight for reparations and this fight to right the wrongs of the past, this apology resolution is just another step towards achieving that goal. An apology from this city is very concrete and is not just symbolic, as admitting fault is a major step and making amends. As the last resolve clause reads, that the city and county of San Francisco commit to non-repetition of the policies and practices which cause these harms, commit to the restoration for the ways that racism has caused insult to black humanity and manifested in both visible and invisible trauma through the means of compensation, restoration, and rehabilitation and commit to making substantial, ongoing, systemic, and programmatic investments in black communities to address historical and present harms. First, we will hear from Human Rights Commission Director, Dr. Cheryl Davis, and then we will hear from the Chair and Vice Chair of the African American Reparations Advisory Committee, Eric McDonald and Tanisha Hollins, and then we will open up the floor for the public after of course, if my colleagues want to make some comments as we fight to continue to make sure that this requested apology is formal here in San Francisco. And now I would like to call up the Director of the Human Rights Commission, Dr. Cheryl Davis. Um, good morning, still two more minutes. Um, 
I want to first and foremost uh, recognize and thank Supervisor Walton for his leadership um, and for his consistent push for this work, even uh, at times when he had to stand alone. So thank you so much, Supervisor Walton. I also want to recognize the uh, Reparations Advisory Committee uh, for their work and their commitment over the last few years to do this work. Um, and again, in times when it felt like they were not being supported and that there definitely was no investment or commitment to the work. Um, so there were, as you all well know, over 100 recommendations that came through the, the process and through the committee. Um, we are, as I've said previously, working with the city attorney to look at which things we can advance and how to do those. Um, and at the same time, I believe there are bodies within the community are looking at what things they can advance on the outside in terms of raising funds and other things. And I think we're hoping to continue um, to look at how we can do that. This um, recommendation is one that folks have asked for from the very beginning. It is one um, that in other places, folks have really struggled with the process to put that forward and what that means. Um, if I could, just in terms of, I, I wrote down just a couple things that um, Supervisor Walton called out, and even when I think about what's in this um, this document, um, in terms of systemic structural discrimination, targeted acts of violence and atrocities, and committing to the recertification and redress of past policies and misdeeds, I would just I, I think what I really struggle with is um, yes, the apology needs to address past harms. Um, and I, I'm hoping that in so doing, that we also realize the practices and the policies are the things that um, we still continue to do today that perpetuate the harm. Um, whether that is being mindful of agendas or being mindful of like the, the optics of how we do things and how it causes people harm. Um, just in, you know, case in point today, I know some folks felt a certain kind of way to have to basically listen to um, excuse my vernacular, like a black woman be dragged just before we have a conversation about reparations today and apologies. So the, the, um, I, just, I just want us to be really mindful of how those things appear, right? Like we're coming here to ask for people to apologize for the things that have been done, but not realizing that it triggers, right? because we all know that sometimes things happen and they are rightfully wrong, and sometimes things happen and folks get called out because they're black. And so I just say that because I think all of us in any position are always worried about what's the one misstep that we're gonna do as black people that's gonna be used to like demonize the whole black community. And so I just say that as we talk about apologies and why it's so important is that it, um, reverberates in a way that we don't realize and understand that folks feel a fear and trepidation to walk out of their house and be black and to be black and make a mistake is almost criminal and so I just I, I say that that is a very real that is a very um, I think the apology goes a long way I think people want to be able to hold on to something that says that you realize and understand that there are impacts to the things that have been done, the systems that have been created, and the things that we have to sit and endure that are almost kind of reminiscent of um, 
watch yourself because you might be next. And I think that that is why this is so important and I'm so grateful that you all are willing to even entertain the conversation and be ready to like look at not just what has been done, but maybe the policies and practices that we continue today that still continue to have an impact and cause harm and fear in the lives of black people. So thank you so much, Supervisor Walton. Thank you so much, um, Chair Preston and Supervisor Stephanie for holding this space and um, for moving this work forward. I know it means a lot to the community, but also a lot to the committee who is feeling uh, a lot of them as if the, the, the wind has been knocked out of them because the resources were not allocated, the commitment was not done. Um, this is one of 15 things that we're working with the city attorney and the supervisor's office to advance, and um, we hope to see this happen. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Davis, and thank you for making sure that uh, we, we have a conversation about not only what's happened in the past, but what continues to happen here in this city when it comes to the injustices that we suffer as a black community. I'd like to call up uh, Chair McDonald and Vice Chair Hollins. Uh, good afternoon. Um, it's a privilege to be here. Happy Black History Month. I think it's notable that we are having this important um, conversation um, during this month of acknowledgement and celebration of the historic contributions past and present of black beauty and pride, so thank you for this. Um, uh, uh, first, uh, again, a thank you to Supervisor uh, Walton, as has already been said. Really appreciate the consistent and steadfast leadership of this entire body of work, including the authorship of the resolution being considered. Also want to acknowledge um, Director Davis and the entire HRC staff um, and, and the tireless work that they have done to hold this body of work and continue uh, to do so. Um, to my colleagues on the Reparations Advisory Committee, um, really appreciate the leadership and commitment um, to continue to hold this work. And then today, um, Chair Preston, Vice Chair Stephanie, um, and the committee for considering this resolution and moving it forward. I'm honored and pleased to be here today for this historic moment. Um, as noted in the draft resolution that is before you, less than 20 local or state governments have offered apologies for slavery and its impact on African Americans. Um, in his case for reparations back in 2014, ta Coates said, 250 years of slavery, 90 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but equal, 35 years of racist housing policy. Until we reckon with our compounding moral debts, America will never be whole. And I would argue that um, San Francisco has similar challenges. The first step in this reckoning is acknowledging the harms that have been caused. And in today's case here, um, harms caused by the city and county of San Francisco. And it's important to note, as Director Davis alluded to, um, that the harms that have been and continue to happen have not been slight nor insignificant. In fact, they've been cruel and often inhumane. I will tell you as a side note, one of the heaviest parts of 
supporting this work going forward was how often we had to visit and hear and carry and hold the depth of pain and trauma experienced in the past and in the present. Uh, and so again, uh, not insignificant. The systemic and structural discrimination, institutionalized racism, targeted acts of violence, and atrocities have devastated, destroyed, and in many instances, demoralized black San Franciscans and our communities. And while we hold and profess to be a liberal progressive um, city that has opportunity for all, the fact still remains we're a tale of at least two cities, uh, if not more. Uh, and there is a significant accumulated moral debt. Um, in his visit to San Francisco back in 1963, uh, James Baldwin said, there is not distance between the facts of life in San Francisco and the facts of life in Birmingham. San Francisco's just another city. And if you're a black man, that's a very bitter thing to say. Today, black San Franciscans sadly still lead in all the wrong indicators of wealth, health, and well-being, low educational attainment, insufficient household income, low home ownership, infant mortality, homelessness, infant mortality, maternal deaths, justice involvement, just to name a few. The sad reality is that these negative indicators were and caused and or allowed by the city and county of San Francisco and through willful and intentional racial discrimination in employment, housing, education, health care, and the criminal justice system. Today, this resolution is a really important first step in publicly acknowledging the generational harms perpetrated, excuse me, by the city uh, of San Francisco and committing to non-repetition and rectification and redress of these harms. The issue of this, the issuing of this formal and public apology is notable and significant. However, it will ring hollow if it isn't followed by active and even aggressive efforts to address the pains of the past through monetary repair and to disrupt the current inequities through policy and programmatic reform and implementation. Let me remind you that the African-American Representative Advisory Committee, which you heard, submitted over 150 recommendations um, to redress many of these harms, and we challenge you to actively work towards implementation of as many as possible, and really appreciate the work that Director Davis is continuing to hold in leading on some vital pieces of that implementation. As you've heard, if you've been in other rooms with me, you've heard me say before, um, centuries of harm and destruction of black lives resulting in the loss of place, of promise, and of prosperity must and should be met with centuries of redress and repair. And so today, please move this resolution forward to the full board with a recommendation and let the healing and repair begin in words and in deeds. Thank you so much for your time today. Good afternoon, thank you so much for the time. And thank you to Supervisor Walton for your continued leadership on this issue. I did not write a long speech. Um, this morning has been incredibly difficult not only to sit and hear of the continued harm that our community experiences, but the failure of leadership in systems across the board. So I have a couple of things to offer. One is 
my grandmother taught me that when someone owes you an apology, usually they know it, and you don't have to ask for it. So the city and county of San Francisco doesn't need any more evidence or any more compelling narratives or stories or fancy speeches to know that there is an apology that is due to black San Franciscans. And I hope that the introduction of the resolution leads to that. The other is something that Chair McDonald said about apologies ringing hollow without action. And I would offer that the other tenet of the reparations is a guarantee of non-repetition. This city has policies in front of it right now that will guarantee do harm to black San Francisco. And it doesn't matter which face or which elected leader is behind or in front of these policies. I wanna urge the San Francisco Board of Supervisors because I believe we have the most talented legislators in the country on this board because we have one of the biggest budgets of any county in this country in San Francisco. And because you all have the power and compassion, I believe, to do a better job, to stand in front of anything that will do more harm to black San Francisco and all San Francisco. And we're watching to make sure that you do it. You cannot use moments in time like Black History Month or any other moment to give a pass on accountability to do better. And I say that respectfully, knowing that so many of us will fail at our jobs because our jobs are next to impossible, knowing that we will not get the same level of compassion or support as black leaders, and knowing that even in spite of all that, that does not give us the pass to fail intentionally. We do not have to give police unchecked power. We do not have to mandate that people who need help could be excluded from getting more help because they struggle with addiction. We can pass smarter policy to make sure we don't rely on jail and prison to deal with problems that they cannot deal with. Y'all can do better. So take it a step past the apology and show your leadership. Show your leadership through smart legislation. Show your leadership through the way you spend and govern these dollars that are in front of us. And show your leadership by making sure the right people are in front of the conversation. That's all I have to offer. Thank you, Chair McDonald and Vice Chair. Hollins, uh, Chair Peskin, I mean, Chair Preston, um, I'm not sure if you or uh, Supervisor Stephanie have some comments before we go to thank, public comment. Thank you, Supervisor Walton, um, and thank you, Dr. Davis and the HRC team and uh, the advisory committee and uh, Chair McDonald and, uh, and Vice Chair Hollins for all your, your comments and your work um, and also for keeping it real around the importance of an apology, but also um, an ap making clear to, to everyone that an apology without action, as you referenced, um, is, not, is not a full apology or a meaningful one. So, um, you know, I, I do wanna, first off, really thank you, Supervisor Walton, as um, this, the presenters have, for your leadership on this resolution um, and your just 
your leadership on reparations, on the reparations plan, on continuing to push your colleagues and the whole city um, to, to deliver on uh, reparations and to understand uh, the importance of reparations um, in our city. Um, and that includes the, the, rep the recommendations of the, the reparations report of which the apology is one. Um, and I cannot thank enough Chair McDonald, Vice Chair Hollins, the whole um, reparations advisory committee for their work and for really laying out what I've said before and I will say again for anyone in the public watching this um, is an incredible document um, really mapping out um, the history of, uh, of discrimination in, in every sector uh, of this city, the role of San Francisco government, uh, the role of private uh, speculators in capital and the impacts on the black community and the need for uh, reparations and laying out a detailed plan of what that means and what the city can do. Some of it immediately, some of it over time, um, but it's all uh, doable. So I, you know, I do wanna just start by saying that to, to folks who are here or folks who are listening, um, as I have uh, shared with Supervisor Walton in the past, um, that you all have my commitment to continue supporting not only this apology, um, but the implementation of the reparations uh, recommendations here in the city and county of San Francisco. Um, and I wanna highlight one thing um, in this resolution that I think has particular significance uh, for the community I represent uh, in District 5 in the Fillmore. Um, and I think the resolution is very powerful and speaks to many uh, issues. Um, I, I think it's essential to be aware of the history to acknowledge our city's complicity and encouragement of the legacy of discrimination and displacement. And as has been said, to make sure we don't repeat the past um, and instead atone for it and repair damage to the greatest extent possible. Um, but the part that I wanted to, to um, really amplify as I think it particularly relates to the Fillmore is starting at page two, line 20 of this resolution. I think this part is very, it's timely, it's important. Uh, it says, quote, whereas in 1942, as World War II continued, African-Americans were recruited from the South to the Bay Area for jobs in the shipyards and other war industries, and many moved into the homes, businesses, and properties in the Fillmore. And whereas in 1947, the San Francisco Planning Commission submitted a plan to raise and rebuild the large zone in the Fillmore encompassing 36 blocks. And the following year, the San Francisco Redevelopment Agency was founded, which subsequently used redlining and the Planning Commission's proposed plan to institute, quote, urban renewal in the Fillmore and Western Edition, which had become a vibrant black neighborhood, but that was deemed, quote, blighted by San Francisco authorities, and whereas over the next 20 years in the name of slum clearance, many homes were raised, businesses destroyed, and more than 10,000 black residents were displaced because of the policy. I, I will not belabor the point here, but I will just say this. How we handle development issues in Plaza East, in Midtown Park apartments, in the Safeway lot, in Freedom West, at other housing complexes, uh, in the Western Edition, in my district, will be one of the things that really shows 
um, whether we have learned from the past and are committed to repairing damage and delivering for black residents of the Fillmore and bringing displaced families back to the Fillmore, or whether we simply repeat the horrors of the past that are outlined in this resolution, placing profits over people to the detriment of black residents of San Francisco. Um, so it, it, it is always sad to see history repeat itself in bad ways. Um, and I think the reparations report makes clear how we can prevent uh, our, our city from uh, repeating many of these uh, horrors of the past. Uh, I believe Vice Chair Hollins identified some of those ways where we're currently undertaking policies that make things worse for black residents of the city. Um, I think the statement that an apology is hollow without action could not be more accurate and is 100% consistent. I say this as a parent. Uh, you know, in our schools, we are teaching uh, kids restorative justice, right? We are teaching kids restorative justice. That is not just issuing an apology, right? But it starts with one. And so I want to thank Supervisor Walton for, uh, for moving this resolution forward. I'm very much looking forward to the public comment on this. Um, Supervisor Stephanie, any comments before we open it for public comment? No, I just think it's important for me to hear from everyone else before I speak. Great, thank you very much. Um, let's go ahead and open up public comment on this item. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item should line up now. Along the side by the windows, all speakers will have two minutes to speak. Welcome, Reverend and former Supervisor Brown. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, Ladies and gentlemen, I could easily say amen to what has already been said. But I must speak for myself. And I must speak as president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People here in this city. And first of all, remind us that it was in 2019 that the NACP introduced to this very chamber notion, the idea of reparations with a substantive, comprehensive plan. Secondly, we appreciate, Mr. Walton, your endeavors. For you are that legislative arm for this black community. Thirdly, it's time we not take steps. We morally ought to be taking grand leaps for what this city has done to black folks historically going back to the 1850s. We have already a repeat of the same evils, horrors, hardships, and hellish moments. And how can we show amends? Remember that man Zacchaeus in the good book when he met Jesus, he showed fruits of repentance. An apology is not enough. An apology is just cotton candy rhetoric. What we need is concrete actions. Action number one right before us. 
this board has a moral obligation to make sure that that allied development corporation doesn't turn over one spade of dirt there in the Fillmore if you are sorry for what has happened to black folk. Safeway got that land through the redevelopment agency. It was cheap for them. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And we must put the brakes on to make sure that it is monitored what will go on over there in the Fillmore regarding Safeway. Number two, when it comes to housing, we have lost black people and still there's a hemorrhaging. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to be weeping that we're down from 16 to 17% of the population now to about 4%. It didn't happen by accident. It happened by intentional public policy. Therefore, 40% of all housing going forward in that area should go to black folks if we're going to stop this hemorrhaging. In those developments that were built by and developed by black people, Haynes Gardens, Friendship West, Freedom West. Think about it. You have a place there where seniors are living. El Bethel Arms, 355 units, and yet only right now, there are about 45 to 50 black folks living there. Shame, shame on San Francisco. They don't just do give us an apology. We need action. We don't need another conversation. We need to change our conduct. Thank, thank and when you, we change our conduct, then you will show that San Francisco is truly a progressive, liberal, inclusive, and a place where one can find refuge and leave your heart in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Reverend Brown, for your comments. Next speaker. Please. Next speaker. Thank you, Gloria Berry. Um, first, I do want to thank Supervisor Shimon Walton for being the lead on reparations. Um, the, the sickness in this city, this is the, the true sickness of the city. First, I'm sad that not all supervisors signed on as sponsors off top on this resolution. Um, I believe that when people are running for office, if you mention anything about helping black people, you will lose. So a lot of people running for office feel if they stand by reparations, they will not win their next seat. And that's, that's the, 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 the sickness of it that is political. Um, we got a little love when what happened to George Floyd happened. I mean, I remember being so excited to see in the marina people holding Black Lives Matter signs. That, that was amazing to see District 2 care about black people. I, I just couldn't believe my eyes, but now it's all gone. 
the care about us is all gone. It was just a hashtag. And then you got people running for office that got donators like Gary Tan, a right winger, who's threatened to kill or, or wants some of y'all dead, you know? And how are y'all gonna speak up for reparations? They really gonna want y'all dead if y'all do that because it's helping us. And that, that's how I feel about this. So I just wanna finish by saying I encourage the low-hanging fruit. I know Supervisor Preston mentioned some items he ready to work on. I challenge all supervisors to get at least five items you're ready to get going next week. Thank you, next speaker, please. My name is Salah Hakuya Chandler, and I am very, very disappointed uh, to this situation. It's an insult, as far as I'm concerned. And the evil and the wickedness that's going on concerning this particular topic for the reparations of my community, my people, my nation. It's absolutely wicked. And the issues that I have a problem with right now, it's not to the Board of Supervisors. It's to you fake black leaders. That's what I got a problem with. The reason that we don't have reparations is because every one of y'all is getting a paycheck. And you're not feeling the pain of my people suffering. Young people is barely making it. You use the word hemorrhaging, they're barely making it with the little income that they have. The suffrage, how dare you when the Asian community get 50 million in two, three months and they don't have to come take a stand and we have to come here to continue to beg them when you being in positions to, to speak and make it happen. You an embarrassment to my people and my nation and every one of you is guilty. We need to call an action the Board of Supervisors get $6,303 every two weeks. That's how much they get paid. If we don't have a resolution in 90 days, I'm requesting for a revolt. For your paychecks to be frozen. Because this is not equality of each nation of people and every one of you know it. You have taken our kindness for weakness and I see too many of my people suffering. And if y'all don't have an understanding back here, black nation of people, that our people are suffering, they dying on the inside while y'all getting y'all paychecks and y'all pointing fingers about the San Francisco Police Department and, how, and who, how much, and, and three million, every one of y'all use money in your political system. Let's investigate you. Let's investigate every one of these departments who's doing wicked. Everyone has been in a position of black community and every city agency is either being in prison or criminalized. You think this is intentional? You think we don't have any eyes to see what the hell is going on? Let's start investigating these corporations who's getting money. Let's talk about everyone in the city. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much for your comments. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. Just for the record, I want to state that I'm on my union negotiated lunchtime. And I also want to ask forgiveness to all the people in line uh, because I do have to run to work. So thank you for allowing me to be in front and speak here. Uh, first, we want to honor the ancestors of this land, the Ramatesha Loni. We want to thank you, supervisors, for the apology, the first of many steps. 
We stand here as the Latino task force and the Latino community standing in solidarity, solid solidarity with the black community and stand for black reparations. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Uh, good uh, morning, I guess afternoon. I'm uh, Deputy Public Defender Brian Cox. I lead our office's integrity unit. And I'm here because I think this is important work that you all are doing, and I think this is historic work. But as so many other uh, speakers have already commented, without action, this rings hollow. And so for me, as I look at it, I talked to my dad recently. He lives on the East Coast. He used to live in San Francisco. When he called me, when he heard about this, he's like, hey, Brian, uh, you think I, I could qualify for that? And I said, Pops, no, probably not, but shout out Pops if you're listening. But it's important to him. It's important to him because when he was here, he would knock on doors to try to rent an apartment, but was turned away. So much so that he had to recruit his white friends to go rent the apartment for him, only to be rejected once he showed up. Same thing happened when he worked downtown in the mailroom. All the insults, all the prejudice, all the discrimination. And so he goes to his city government to seek redress, to seek help, only to be met, be met with indifference and closed doors. That's intentional, that is deliberate. And so I think what's important here is to focus on what are the solutions that you all are bringing to the table beyond mere rhetoric. What policies, how are we investing our dollars? Right now, we have policies that we know will cause harm to the black community. Where is the action to end those policies? Where is the action to bring resources to the communities that have been underinvested in for generations and decades? This group can start, the board can start, by simply funding entities that promote black health and that protect black people, like the Public Defender's Office, on the front lines fighting to end mass incarceration. And those are deliberate decisions by this city to over-police those communities. And we can do more and we should do more. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your comments. Can you restate your last name for the meeting minutes? Sure, Cox, C-O-X. Okay, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Next speaker. Greetings. Um, also should note that I am on my lunch break. Um, my name is Letitia Irving. I have the honor of sitting on the Reparations Advisory Committee, and I want to start by just saying, Ashe, amen. I will say it for you, Reverend Brown, to um, Chair, Hall, uh, Chair McDonald and Vice Chair Hollins. I'm going to echo and double down on everything that was said. I also want to take this moment to give a deep appreciation to Supervisor Walton for his steadfast and unwavering commitment to the black community. This was well beyond reparations. You've been putting in the work, and we know that the reparations and what we're asking for is something that's going to have to live forever. And you did this work before, you're doing during, and we know that you're going to continue this commitment after. So thank you for being bold in the face of this. Um, also want to thank Dr. Davis for your actions beyond words. You are putting in the action. We're not just talking about it. With the support of the HRC, we developed a comprehensive report of our stories, our history, and our experiences. Most notably, though, we came up with solutions that were developed by the very people who have been harmed, black San Franciscans. Knowing that very few of our recommendations are currently being actualized does actually feel like a gut punch. 
It feels like I feel further harmed, like a revolving door of trauma to say, you put in all this work, you've talked to your people, you've brought them here, and then we're gonna say we're only gonna do a couple things. And I understand that it is not this body that pushed back on all of that, but it is your responsibility to start walking the walk. Beyond the talk, what are we doing? And what are we walking that's gonna live beyond this moment? Um, the first step is an apology. It's empty, but it's necessary. And in all honesty, I would like to see an apology across every city department and every governing body. First, the apology, but most importantly, the actions. Bold, unapologetic actions towards righting San Francisco's wrongs. Let's walk it like we talk it, not just in this moment, but let's have lasting impacts. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for you. your comments. Next speaker. Um, good afternoon. My name is... Good afternoon, my name is Lori Yamauchi and I speak in support of this resolution. Although I speak as an individual, I am a member of the Japantown Task Force Board of Directors and an elder at Old First Presbyterian Church. I want to thank Supervisor Walton and the Reparations Advisory Committee and Human Rights Commission for their hard work leading to this resolution. The resolution cites the harms committed uh, against African Americans in San Francisco in order to redress and repair harms, an apology is an essential step. Uh, this, res this apology, of course, is not unprecedented. The city of Boston passed a resolution to acknowledge and apologize for the role played by the city in the slavery of African Americans. In 2022, the National Presbyterian Church USA adopted a resolution offering an apology for the, to African Americans for the sin of slavery and its legacy. Further, the US government passed the Civil Liberties Act of 1988, which apologized to 120,000 persons of Japanese ancestry who were forcibly removed and incarcerated during World War II, as well as issued reparations payments in, to incarcerees and their descendants. I respectfully ask that you support the board passage of this resolution and pledge to take future actions to give teeth to this apology. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Good morning. My name is Yasmin Abdusami Oakley, and I am a reparationist. And what we do is we teach our community and the surrounding communities about state atonement and the initiatives for reparations here in California. We teach our community the difference between lineage and race. Reparations is not DEI. Reparations is not race-based initiatives. And I suggest that this board learn the difference so that you can advocate properly for the descendants of enslaved and then emancipated Americans here in San Francisco. The San Francisco African American Reparations Advisory Board, while I tremendously respect their work, they did not do a good job in distinguishing between lineage and race. We advocate for the descendants of enslaved and then emancipated Americans to receive reparations in the form of direct cash payments. An apology is very low on our list. And uh, our top priority is compensation, restitution, rehabilitation, and the guarantee of non-repetition. Getting cash repairs directly to descendants of emancipated Americans who are literally sitting, lining the streets of San Francisco 
They are descendant, they are Americans. So I don't see reparations as a black issue. It is an American issue. Um, if you want um, to give an apology, you want to do it in the most expensive city in the world, these people can't eat an apology. Our youth are forced to break into cars because their wealth was stolen by this city and this state and this country. Um, you need to designate land and housing specifically for descendants and housing specifically for descendants who have roots in San Francisco. And you need to give cash payments to those people as well. And you need to give some of those contracts that don't have any oversight, you need to give them to descendant American companies. And I bet we will start having oversight then. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Hello, uh, my name is David Marcus Dunton. I was born and raised in San Francisco. I've been through the system. Uh, all my legal walls were behind me. Uh, as far as uh, apology, I understand that we have to be accountable for our own actions as black citizens. You know, I'm not good with playing the victim. So, you know, all I can say is that, you know, if, if we were to uh, allocate funds, I do think as a black community, because they did that with just stimulus checks and this and that, just giving people money and EDD, and now they back at square one. So I do think there are steps, there's only 4% of it, like they say so. You know, and, and I, I appreciate the Latino task force, everybody who's in support of us moving forward, but I do think we, as, as the little 4%, you know, we gotta, you know, we gotta have some kind of sense of direction Instead of just asking somebody, yo, just give us some money, and you're going to, you know, you still don't have no direction. So I appreciate all the board members even having the discussion. It is a serious topic. Uh, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little biased because I, I have, you know, I was married to a Caucasian woman. I've been married to Angelita. And I'm really from Hunters Point. I was born in St. Louis, so. Everybody's not racist. Everybody, you know, we pooping on the ground, we selling dope, we breaking in cars. So, you know, with this leadership, you know, it got to happen inside. I did see something on, on one of the sites where we're saying that, you know, you call the police, but the police is responding to what's happening. So we do got to govern our own. Outside of that, you know, I don't, you know, because the boy in Sacramento, the one who had got, you know, he, he got killed in his backyard, he had his phone. His brother, his brother was going to get like $27 million to write a book deal, but then Thank you. they Thank did the you. Black Lives Matter thing. Thank you. On the light rail without Next speaker. Good afternoon, committee members. My name is Nick Ji. I'm an advocate with Chinese for Affirmative Action. We're a civil rights-based organization based in San Francisco's Chinatown. Last summer, Chinese for Affirmative Action endorsed the San Francisco Reparations Plan and the recommendations that seek to redress that harm across the areas of economic empowerment, education, health, and policy for black San Franciscans. The plan thoroughly documented San Francisco's role in enacting policies and practices of racist redlining through the deconstruction and displacement of the Fillmore and Western Edition neighborhoods and the subsequent severing of wealth building opportunities in which many black families never recovered. 
This acknowledgement of harm and apology to African-American constituents and their descendants is an important first step in the reparations process, and we urge the committee to support passage of this resolution. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Hi, good afternoon, committee members. Um, I actually think it's more important for me to be here and listen to a lot of people's stories. It's very, very empowering moments. So my name is Shuang Lee, and like Nick, I'm an advocate with Chinese for Affirmative Action, and we support the San Francisco Reparations Plan and the resolution that acknowledge and apologize for the city's role in death of harm experienced by African Americans and their descendants who are living in San Francisco. The reparation plan details the significance and disappropriate harm of government policies and practices towards African Americans, residents, and how these racially discriminatory laws resulted in the persistent in economy, in economy, health, education, and social outcomes. We recognize the importance of demonstrating multiracial support for reparations. We look forward to working with the board and community groups to successfully build strong bridges and solidarities across racial and ethnic groups through in-language engagement in our API community members, and we urge the committee to approve this item. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Board. Brother Walton, thank you so much. You're doing a masterful job. Peace to you, black man. Uh, chair, co-chair, I see she stepped out. Masterful job you all did. Thank you so much. Sister Davis also, she stepped out. Peace to her also. Uh, no need to really stand on ceremony here. My fellow black Americans acknowledge me as Brother Carriot. Uh, I want to run this past you all, um, the Super Board of Supervisors. When a foreign conglomerate, corporation, or country inflict infractions against the United States of America, they apologize with a big fat check. Bottom line, right? So, San Francisco, I say you just, you, you keep your verbally apologies. Go ahead and keep them. Dig deep in your pockets, grab $5 million in the form of direct cash payments, and apologize financially. Yeah. Now, mind you, as the sister stated with lineage, I say 1870 census, sister, you know, yeah. you know the uh, American Indians that was reclassified to black, color, Negro, mulatto. Those are the ones who qualify here in San Francisco. Nobody else. Not the continent, not the Caribbean, not across that border. Only us, the original copper color people. Gratitude. Thank you so much. Do we have additional comments? Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for hosting this conversation and thank you so much to Supervisor Walton for your continued leadership. Um, and for not letting this uh, issue go away because we know that the community is resilient and steadfast in their demands for reparations. I really just wanted to um, add our ancestral acknowledgement really just for the record and also just for um, a continued kind of guiding principle that the committee led with. Um, so I wanted to read it here because uh, it was something that Reverend Brown had asked for in addition to saying we need to go back to the scene of the crime. He thought that it's most respectful to give reverence to our black ancestors for the historic and ongoing contributions 
um, that they've made to the city and county of San Francisco. And it reads that we honor the gifts, resilience, and sacrifices of our black ancestors, particularly those who toiled the land and built the institutions that established this city's wealth and freedom, despite never being compensated nor fully realizing their own sovereignty. We acknowledge this exploitation not only of labor, but of our humanity. And through this process, we are working to repair some of the harms done by public and private actors. Because of their work, we are here and will invest in the descendants of their legacy. And so I definitely stand on the shoulders of so many who've come before me in being able to do this work with the city. And we look forward to continuing to work with the Board of Supervisors as the legislative branch of government to continue to move forward the hundreds of recommendations that the committee put forward. Thank you. Thank you. Would you mind restating your name or stating your name for the record? I would not. Brittany Chiquata. Okay, thank you. Do we have any additional public speakers? Chair, that looks like it, it concludes, excuse me, public comment. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. Thank you to everyone who came out uh, to speak on this item. Uh, Supervisor Walt. Oh, my apologies. Uh, Vice Chair Stephanie. Thank you. Um, I just want to thank everyone for coming out, and I, and I just want to make sure that everyone knows that as soon as Supervisor Walton mentioned this in roll call on February 6th, I texted him at 5.05 p.m. and told him, um, I told my staff I wanted to co-sponsor that, and he knows that. The fact that my name was not on the um, list of co-sponsors um, does not indicate um, where and when I told Supervisor Walton that I wanted to co-sponsor this, and he knows that. And he um, and I just want to thank him for his continued work on this. I've been with him on everything um, with regard to reparations and all the work he's been doing. And um, just wanted to make sure that people know that I know that an apology is necessary but not enough, and I will continue to listen to everyone on what is necessary and will continue to work with Supervisor Walton on delivering that. So thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Stephanie. Uh, Supervisor Walton. Thank you, Chair Preston, and thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. And I, I do want to state for the record that Supervisor Stephanie did sign on as a co-sponsor uh, right away. And so I want to make sure that everyone understands at times, sometimes things don't get recorded in real time. And I will always call a spade a spade, but I also have to give credit where credit is due. And most certainly, Supervisor Stephanie signed on immediately. And I think just, you know, as we look at today, as in every hearing that we've held around reparations here at this Board of Supervisors, we've had several people come in and, of course, provide public comment. We received several emails from community, and not just the black community, about not just an apology being owed, but all of the work of reparations needing to be achieved here in San Francisco. So as we continue to push to improve outcomes for black people in this city, this apology will bring us all closer to that goal. We definitely know that this is not the end all be all, but this is most certainly something that has to be acknowledged and has to be on record here in the city and county of San Francisco. I wanna once again thank the African American Reparation and Advisory Committee uh, as well as Chair McDonald and Vice Chair Hollins 
for their tireless work on reparations. I also want to thank the Human Rights Commission under the leadership of Director Davis. And of course, I want to thank the entire community for your continued commitment, for continue, continuing to hold our feet to the fire as the Board of Supervisors, because we will not just take that report and not move. Uh, I have three years left in office and most certainly will be spending a good chunk of my time to make sure that we realize some of those recommendations. I also just want to say that as we go through this budget process, uh, we are going to fight for resources to fund the Office of Reparations. So even though we suffered mid-year cuts, do not think that we won't continue the fight for the resources to fund the office. Also working on legislative and democratic means to secure funding for recommendations from the task force. So please know and understand that this fight is definitely not over. Uh, I would like to add an additional resolve clause, which I think is important as I, we heard from public comment, and I believe this would be non-substantial, but further resolve that the Board of Supervisors urges each city department to engage in the process of reflecting on their own role in the city's history of structural discrimination and to issue their own apologies for their actions. And we can just add this at the end of the last reserve clause. And I do want to hear from the city attorney to make sure that this is appropriate and these are not substantive. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, uh, the proposed amendment is not substantive and would not require a continuance. Thank you so much. So with that, I, I guess I will move to add this amendment uh, to the resolution. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Okay. Okay, so on the motion to amend, Vice Chair Stephanie, Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Member Walton? Aye. Member Walton? Aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston? Aye. I have three ayes. Thank you. And Chair Preston, I would like to make a motion that we move this forward with recommendation to the full Board of Supervisors as amended. Madam Clerk. On the motion to recommend to the full Board of Supervisors as amended, um, Vice Chair Stephanie? Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Member Walton? Aye. Member Walton, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston, aye. I have three ayes. Thank you. That motion passes. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Um, Madam Clerk, can you call items uh, 5 to 12 for the closed session, please? Yes, today's closed session agenda is comprised of items 5 through 12, which are four ordinances and four resolutions authorizing and approving various settlements of lawsuits and unlitigated claims in amounts ranging from approximately 35000 to $9 million. Thank you, um, Madam Clerk. And these items are agendized for closed session. I've been briefed on them by the city attorney's office. I've gotten my questions answered, a few pending, but are not matters that I think uh, I, 
I do not feel I need to review them in closed session as I think they do, don't relate to the approval or non-approval, but just to some ancillary policy issues raised by some of these settlements. So happy to continue my conversations with uh, Deputy City Attorney Pier Pearson uh, and the office, unless um, uh, seeing uh, Vice Chair Stephanie shaking her head, I think we, we, uh, my intent would be uh, to not convene in closed session. So I just wanted to say that uh, before we open up public comment on these items. Uh, so let's go ahead and have public com comment uh, and then we can entertain a motion. Uh, members of the public who wish to speak on this item should line up to speak. Now along the side by the windows, all speakers will have two minutes to speak. Mr. Chair, it appears that we have no public comment. Thank you. Uh, public comment on these items is now closed. Uh, and as mentioned, uh, I, I, we are uh, not going to move uh, for, to convene in closed session. Instead, would like to move um, these items 5 through 12 uh, with recommendation uh, to the Board of Supervisors. On the motion to uh, move items 5 through 12 to the board, uh, supervisors with positive recommendation. Vice Chair Stephanie? Vice Chair Stephanie, aye. Uh, Chair Preston? Aye. Chair Preston, aye. I have two, two ayes with Member Chan excused. Thank you. That motion passes. Uh, and uh, Madam Clerk, any other business before the committee today? There is no further business. We are adjourned. Thank you.